What's up, y'all? I'm Deeg. This is Deeg Chats. I'm here today talking with my friend, Aurora Peachy. What's up, Aurora Peachy? Hi. What should I call you? Aurora <laughs> Peachy? What's best for short? You can call me either one, but uh, most people call me Peachy. How about AP? A AP actually works too, that too. Okay, okay. We're going to go with Peachy, though. We're going to go with Peachy. So <laughs> how are you today? How's it going? Oh my gosh, it has been a very busy couple of days, uh, but I am uh, doing great. Yeah? Great. In any particular reason? Yeah. Reasons to yet be announced. <laughs> ah, oh, that's very exciting. Some, some big life changes that uh, that are that I can't oh. reveal quite yet. Okay, okay. Well, everyone will have to stay tuned for that. But meantime, we have lots of fun stuff to talk about. Um PG, I've of course, of course, known about you and your work forever. I've been long. I'm a longtime Guild Wars Two player, even though I'm kind of new to the creator scene. Um, and the thing about you that I so love is that you have a way of funneling and reflecting enthusiasm and appreciation in a way that I don't really see anywhere else. And I think in a creator landscape that can at sometimes, let's say, tilt towards irony and frustration, what you do seems very unique to me. I have never heard anyone put it that eloquently. Thank you. That's, <laughs> That's a huge right. compliment. Right. Where does that come from? Oh, my gosh. I think it just comes from just I have literally always my entire life been a geek and uh -huh. been passionate about video games, anime. I, I was playing video games on uh, on my dad's computer that uh, ran on DOS um, ever since I knew how to use a keyboard. What a and, nerd. I uh, love it. Bless him for that. <laughs> bless him <laughs> for, for introducing me to the, the crazy world of, you know, technology and gaming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that led me that led me to today. Is your and, dad a big gamer still? Uh, not really still. Um, hmm. he, he really loved, uh, strategy games was kind of his, ah. his bread and butter. He liked uh -huh. civilization, um, any of the like tycoon games, railroad sure, tycoon. Sure, sure. Sim type um, games. And, yeah. And, and that's, um, you know, and, and like super early days, you know, like mm -hmm. Civ 1, um, he, I would watch him play that. And, uh, yeah. they were at the time when I was little, they were, that was a little above my head. Mm. Um, but I would watch him play it and uh that's actually um despite me being a very very big into mmos uh, rpgs in general yeah. um i would i would say my favorite gaming genre is strategy because huh. it just my brain loves strategy so interesting <laughs> interesting you know i have found myself admiring strategy games from a distance my whole life i can remember vividly so i like you got exposed to games by my dad uh, me and my brother, uh, a few years apart, sat down in his office, where which is the only place where a computer existed at, at the age we were at. Like this would have been early '90s, and oh. we played Mist on CD-ROM, which was oh, mind blowing yes. at the time. And uh, he introduced us to Wolfenstein 3D, and that's how I got into shooters and things like that. But the thing that my my brother ended up playing that I didn't real I tried to like, but I didn't get much into was Age of Empires. And oh my god, yes. Yeah? Oh my gosh, yes. I grew up Age of Empires 1. I played a ton until 2 came out. And then, of course, 2 is like the penultimate. Uh -huh. The, the yeah. ultimate Age of Empires. That's you the know? one everyone thinks um, of, absolutely. 
Yes, exactly. When you think Age of Empires, you're thinking of Age of Empires 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had a tally of how many hours through over my lifetime I've played Age of Empires 2. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I played that game endlessly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The thing that always stuck out about, me, about that game, as stupid as it sounds, is all the the very the flavorful voice lines like right <laughs> there was right? just like so something so charming about it they're so memorable and you never got tired of them yeah 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 so strategy games um what kind of strategy games are you into these days oh my goodness um there's nothing that i play like regularly i go in like spurts uh-huh. Um, and I love, uh, I love any kind of RTS like Age of Empires. Uh, uh-huh. one of my favorites, even though I don't play it now is, um, Rise of Nations. Mm. Highly recommend if you haven't played that. Mm-hmm. Anybody I've who loves Age of Empires type games. Um, there's a great RTS, uh, coming out by an indie developer called Timberborn. And it's I've seen this. What's it an about? Age of Empires-esque uh-huh. with beavers. And you're building your little <laughs> beaver colony. And what's really unique about it, and this is this is just in like beta right now. There's a free uh-huh. demo actually that you can play. I'm like plugging their game right now. Hashtag not sponsored. There just it goes. really, really want to play your game. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, what's unique about it that I like is um, it do since they're beavers and they build dams right uh-huh. to control the water level. You'll have like the wet seasons and the dry seasons, so the water mm-hmm. level will like raise or lower. Oh, so you have to build your city on different levels of terrain and build your mm-hmm. dams in order to manage the water around your city, which is super cool. The world's first beaver simulator. Right, right. They all have names and like they go, they have new, like you can't just make new beavers. You have to wait until they breed and like make new beavers <laughs> and then the beavers grow up and then the beavers die of old age when they get old. It's great. It's oh great. Oh my God. And it, and it's just in beta and like the, they're developing it act very actively and making improvements and listening to the feedback very uh-huh. well. And uh-huh. like, I can't wait for this game. <laughs> you know, just when you think that the world of games and like even like movies and TV is just overcome with sequelitis, right? Everyone wants mm. to just print out the successful IPs and make make new versions of it. You see something like that. And it's like, all right. Yep. The spark is still here. Like this is still real. That feels good. <laughs> That feels good. Timberborn. I I have seen ads for it. I did not know what I was looking at, but now I'm curious. So that sounds mm. that sounds delightful. Highly recommend. <laughs> okay. 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 So on your bio, uh, Peachy, you you call yourself in uh, four different words: fangirl, creator, gamer, collector. Right. I've seen all these parts of you in your content, but which part of you do you think is the most core most important most manifest which word which of those words is most Mm. central to you Mm. oh gosh i mean that's tough because all of them like define me but um Uh i i think because i and the reason i put it first i think fangirl because everything i do stems from that Uh stems from the fact that i am just a giant geek and a giant fangirl, and I have extreme passion for the characters and series and things that I'm into. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. creation, of course, that's why I create. That's what inspires me to create. Right. It always has, is yeah. the stuff I'm passionate about. Um, the, you know, uh, gaming, I'm just passionate about gaming, and mm-hmm. a lot of the characters I fall in love with come from gaming or anime. And then, uh, what was the other one? What am I? 
fangirl creator well, gamer collect, collector collecting of yeah, course yeah, yeah. and then i i am you know uh, uh incentivized and, and you know uh, uh passionate about buying all my little favorite characters to look uh -huh, at and put on my uh -huh. shelf <laughs> uh-huh which is an incredible looking shelf it is so break it down for us what are, what are we seeing oh, roughly thank you. oh my gosh and you're only seeing half of it actually okay, okay. um but um, I, I started collecting when I, uh, well, I've always kind of been a collector of, I like sets of things. Uh-huh. I just have a fascination with, with like a collection of like I, when I was little and I didn't have like a, um, you know, like a show or something to collect from. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, I guess I collected Barbies. You could say okay. <laughs> when I was okay. really little, right? Sure, I was asking sure. for Barbies for Christmas yeah. um, when I was real little. But uh, like, I would collect like rocks or pencils hmm. or stickers or like I liked these sets of things. Hmm. It just made made me happy. Ever since I was little, I would have a little bin. Like hmm. when I would go to school, and I you would you would do good on your test, and the teacher would give you a shiny, sparkly pencil, uh -huh. right? And all all the kids would go and sharpen it and use it, right? Uh -huh. I would save it, not use it. I would bring it home and put it in a little plastic bin that I had with like a hundred other pencils that I had gotten from school and various places. If I went to like a store and I saw okay, a sparkly okay. pencil, I would buy a little sparkly pencil and add it to the collection. Okay. And it just made me happy. <laughs> so now that's translated into this. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah, let me think about this for a second. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been accused of is not having enough stuff like that accused? whole instinct that you just, well, I mean, I, I, I'm putting it dramatically. We are on, you know, we are streaming. We must be dramatic about these things. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, you know, before we started the stream, I, I was actually just 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 complimenting you on your on 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 the setup you have there, and I was reflecting on the fact that I have like a single piece of gaming merchandise that I stumbled into, and I showed it to you before the stream. It's it's this 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 lovely lady who's uh, comes to us so from cute. the Icebird Saga announcement back in 2019. Um, at the Moore Theater, but um, you know, it, it came. It, it you know, like like a pet that you rescue. It, it came to me rather than I to it, <laughs> because this this instinct to collect is something that um, I've never had. So I see I see what you have, and I I I'm, I feel fascinated by this instinct, and I want to get to know it better. Can what can you tell me about collecting? So you have the you collect the pencil, right? The pencil that all the other kids sharpen. Probably I would sharpen, I'm guessing. But you don't sharpen it. You keep it in a nice state. You bring it home with you. You put it with other like things, and you find a set for it, or you find a, a place for it to be. You organize it. Yep. Do you then go back and admire it later when you see it? What What are you What are you feeling when you're taking in your collection? Wow, wow. Um, I think that. Uh, go with like keeping it like pristine and, and, and uh -huh, nice. And uh -huh. I think that goes back to, um, my, like, um, I, I have a little sister and so we mm. grew up together. And so, okay. uh, you know, like Christmas and stuff, we would all, you know, we would both get toys and, and we were very, like I said, very into Barbies mm -hmm. and, um, she had a habit. She she used her toys. She played with her toys. So she would open the Barbie and she would take down its hair and she would brush the hair and put uh -huh. it in different styles and put different clothes on it. And, and she would like play with her toys. Uh -huh. And I don't know why, but I just always had the instinct of 
look at this pretty box that it comes in. Mm. It comes in, you know, it's all, it's it's tied up in there, you know, with 18 twisty ties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the hair is in this style, this really tight style that, you know, you could never replicate, you know, right. except right. for the machine that they mm-hmm. make it on. So I've just always had, I don't know why, but I've had this instinct to preserve it. It's It's beautiful. It's pretty like that. And yeah, mm-hmm. I took them out and I played with them and stuff. But I had more of the instinct to like, let's not get it dirty. Let's not, you know, take down yeah. the hair. Let's let's keep the hair looking nice. And I, I, I'm not sure why uh, I had that instinct um, mm-hmm. in particular. But then that went that translated into you know like keeping the pencils nice. Um, I even had a sticker collection, and and uh, I didn't use the stickers. I kept mm-hmm. them on the sheet because once mm-hmm. you take them off, they're used, right? I wanted yeah, to keep yeah. them pristine and on the yeah. sheet. So my sticker collection was just. A bunch of stick, a pile of sticker sheets, uh-huh, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And um, and I think when I go and and I would go, go going to your question, uh-huh. specifically is um, I I would go and I would admire them, especially whenever I add something new. Mm-hmm. When I add a new pencil to the collection, I would kind of take them all out and I would look at them. And I think something one of my favorite parts is that each piece has a story. Uh, of some kind okay i could there's so many pieces behind me that i could tell you the story of um winning an ebay auction at the last second okay or this is so rare i was looking for it for five years and i finally found it and that excitement Uh of finally finding it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so that's one of my favorite things is they all have a story and, and it might go back to the pencils where i got this one from the principal and this one the principal called me down because he heard that I was a good student and I went in his office and saw and got to see he loved Mickey Mouse. And so mm-hmm. that brings back mm-hmm. all the memories of sitting in the office and seeing the Mickey Mouse and having him, you know, tell me I was a good student. And mm-hmm. and it brings back those memories from that one pencil. And so uh. sifting through and putting I can literally remember putting my fingers in and like feeling all of the pencils. And and I uh-huh. think to me it's just it was a lot of like memories of mm-hmm. where I got them. I love that. That is so interesting. I, I, th- I feel like just naturally we are so, we so easily remember things that are difficult or negative, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can say it's part of some like survival instinct and that, that may be true, but it doesn't change the reality. We tend to remember these negative things. And when, when one does what you're doing um, and what I've done it a handful of times, um, you kind of get the chance to sh- almost like short circuit that effect to give yourself an excuse to remember something good um something about yourself that that helps reinforce your identity that helps you um because identity is a perilous thing right our ability to understand ourselves and to conduct ourselves in the crazy world we live in um i i have i guess I'm going to try to relate to what you're saying. And I, I have one example I can think of. Will you permit me a moment to explain? Absolutely. Okay. Let's see if this lands. Um, so I, um, back in 2015, I got a job as a data engineer. Um, uh, I was good at the job. I could do the job. No, no big deal. I was at a startup. It was kind of exciting. Um, things went sideways with the startup. And I was kind of, uh, the work that I needed to do there kind of went away for a while, but I was still working there. It was a very confusing time. Um, and during that time, I decided to enroll in a, a what they called a leadership course. Uh, it's called Foundations for Success. And it ended up being like a, like a speech-making course of some sort. 
And, um, you know, I kind of felt like the odd man out at the company at that time. Like, I didn't really know what I was doing there. I didn't understand because there was a big layoff that happened with this reorganization. I survived it. Why? It wasn't really clear to me why. And, and everyone kind of didn't feel great about layoffs. Layoffs always feel terrible. But I, I went into this course and I just approached it with uh, an open mind. And um, I ended up discovering this um, kind of talent for doing what we're doing here, actually, at that course. And by some crazy stroke of, of luck and, and kindness, they, uh, I was kind of uh, named like the MVP of the course at the end of it. And I have nice. a little, uh, like, you know, a, one of those silly looking, um, what do you call them? Like plaques that stand up on a desk um, right. over there on my bookshelf. And sometimes it helps me to remember that when I'm choosing how to go through my life. Uh, my career has taken different turns since then. It's one of the things that clued me into um, how do I solve the problem of making my game experiences more enjoyable? Because that's the main reason I started the podcast. Because I wasn't, I still liked games and I still wanted to like them, but I was not getting what I quite needed out of it. And that helped suggest a way to move forward. Do you find, do you ever find yourself in a situation where um, something that you've preserved or conserved in your collection uh, brings back a, a meaningful lesson for you or a meaningful reminder? Or is it more just like mm -hmm. a, a general sense of contentment? I'm sure there's I'm sure there's some pieces that I'm trying to think of like a specific one that I keep for like a specific memory. Okay. Um, but I can't really off the top of my head. I've never thought about that before. That's okay. Like I, I love I'm, it. <laughs> I'm weird this way. I'm weird this way. I love it. <laughs> well, I just like to analyze everything to death. So speaking of yeah. <laughs> Um, well, real quick, when you mentioned that yeah, plaque, yeah. And instantly I was like, see, that's something you can look at on your shelf, and that's a memory yes. that you went back to, and how beautiful that is. Yes. I love it. And that that has not only been uh, uh, useful in and of itself, but it's been instructive to be like, hey, idiot, don't forget to like save stuff. <laughs> don't forget to memorialize your life, because I, I would forget. I would think, mm -hmm. I'm too, like, you know... I'm I'm too good for that. Like I'm too enlightened. I don't need mm. stuff. Like I had this story mm. about myself that I told myself. That turns out to be bullshit, of course. Um, <laughs> but that's one of the big lessons that I learned. And also, when when I tune into your content, I I now I will see that, and it'll be another kind of reminder. And, um, cool. So I love that. Um, yeah. So being the fangirl, being the collector, nerding out. Um, you said that you, this kind of began for you when your father uh, kind of sat you down and showed you uh, his fun uh, strategy games on, on playing on, on your DOS PC. Um, <laughs> how did things go from there? I know you've plotted a course through, of course, uh, Guild Wars 2 streaming, uh, cosplay. Um, mm -hmm. Like, how did, how did you grow as a nerd? Wow. Oh, my gosh. So... Um... Yeah, I, I the the earliest video game I can remember playing was Fisher Price Bus and Fisher Price Bowling. Okay, they were DOS games and they were very simple. You just played them with the arrow keys on the keyboard. Uh -huh. One of them, uh, one of them was just kind of a bowling game. So you would move your little character across the screen wherever mm -hmm. you wanted to mm -hmm. throw the little bowling pin, and you would throw it. And, like that was it. Okay. Um, but the bus game, um. 
was a lot more complicated for, you know, and I was like four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a it had a, a map of streets that you would drive down and pick up kids for school. You would stop in front of their little stops and you would uh-huh. they would get on the bus and then you would drive them to school. But it had three different levels. And the first level was you just did that. And the second level, you um, like it got a little harder. Like sometimes the kids weren't at the stop yet. So you had to like remember who wasn't there and then go back and pick them up. And then the third level um, had obstacles in the road. So you kind of had to mentally remember the roads and and take detours. And I and I I think that maybe implanted some strategy into Mm, my brain because I had to think critically and i was doing this at like four years old nice um so like i think that like it it enthralled me i was excited i wanted to i wanted to beat i wanted to pick up those kids you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) um and and i think my dad just uh you know seeing how much i loved it he just kept buying me games right Mm. of course you know as i went older and older age appropriate games for Mm -hmm. as i grew up I, i had a fairy tale game um, I had a, you know, a lot of them were educational, but still mm-hmm. super fun um, that taught you about music and math and science and reading and all that. And I loved every single one of them and mm-hmm. art and an art, a very early like art program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allowed me to kind of, you know, find what I what I enjoyed and what I was good at mm-hmm. and what I was drawn to. Um and uh, yeah, I, and I, and then when I got old enough to like, you know, uh, I started asking for games, and we begged our parents for a Nintendo, uh-huh. uh, and you know, and finally got a Nintendo, and nice. Uh, and then my, me and my sister could play it together. I was a Nintendo kid, totally. Me too. Um, me too. Nice. I got to thank my. Uh, we would go to my grandma's house before we had a, a Super Nintendo. Was our first console at home, and uh, before that, we would go over. Um, our grandma's house and mm-hmm. she had an Atari Ooh. and every time we went over there was all we did was play Atari. Me uh-huh. and my sister we uh-huh. just loved it. And, and I think it really helped that my sister and I, and she's four years younger mm-hmm. could play the games together. Right. Um, and so that kept us interested. I'm sorry for the puppy barking. Oh, I hope they're okay. She's just barking. It's dogs walking down the street. I see. Well, <laughs> but it's a very important they? job to do, you know, it is. At, they at least guard the house, house is defended. You know, I'm I'm, I'm exactly. comforted to hear that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, I think it just went from there. My dad kept buying us games. We kept asking for games because we mm-hmm. played them together and we loved them. Uh, every Christmas, every birthday, we were asking for a game or a console or the next console. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I was, we always, we always, we also grew up watching, um, of course, Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, my parents got cable, so we had Nickelodeon, and so we were Nickelodeon kids. Watched all the cartoons on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so gaming has been rooted ever since I was old enough to use a keyboard. Got it. Anime um, came about when I was thirteen. Okay. Uh, and that was Sailor Moon. Okay. Uh, when I randomly saw it on TV mm-hmm. when I was, I was flipping channels before school mm-hmm. and something about these brightly colored characters with bright hair flying around the screen doing magical attacks. I was something I just went, my brain went, wow. <laughs> like, I need more of this uh-huh. desperately. So All right. I, what? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm down with it. That's- <laughs> I, I, Sailor so, Moon is something I don't know anything about. So 
what's the Sailor Moon formula? It, it's your very typical magical girl series, monster right. of the day, magical girl, ordinary girl trans gets superpowers, transforms into a magical girl, has a pretty attack, and well, fights the monster like. of the day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And just I, uh, I, I was instantly, instantly hooked, mm-hmm. and. I I said I have to get more of this, but it was on while I was at school. Ah. So I asked my dad, "How do I record this?" So he taught me how to set the VCR, to time it, and record mm-hmm. it on a VHS tape, so I could watch it when I get home from school. Mm-hmm. And that started learning, teaching me about video uh-huh. and editing and uh you know just recording things Uh and by recording them watching them back um i would transfer episodes like i would take a bunch of episodes and like combine them into one tape i was making very early music video like not music videos but like um uh like montages of my favorite scenes on on uh on a you know vhs tape um and then my dad who is just interested in technology and computers and software sure. um and then he and he's interested in video creation as well just mm-hmm. naturally and uh he eventually got um uh very early before this was popular he got a non-linear linear video editor like vegas or uh you know wow. um, premiere it was a very it wasn't those those brands but you know it was a very early version of that yeah, yeah. um and that was just like life-changing because you could do transitions right and you could reposition everything and it just blew my mind and using my inspiration for sailor moon and and just i loved it so i i loved it so completely so deeply so so much that i couldn't contain it and uh-huh. and and it spawned creation. I had to draw it. I had to write it. I had to make videos. I had to, uh-huh. you know, do anything I possibly could to just get all of this passion out of my head for Sailor Moon. Yeah. So I started doing all those things and I started learning how to nonlinear video ed- edit so that I could make music videos. I, was like, uh-huh. I could just put this to music. Oh my God. Like uh-huh. it just blew my mind what I could do okay. with the technology of the time. And And remember, this is like, you know, ni- in the 90s, in the late 90s. Yeah. Like, so this is all very early in definitely. all of that. And at the same time, at the same year that I discovered Sailor Moon, I also, and I'm dating myself, I also got the internet mm. when I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, was the first time my parents got AOL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, of course, my first, I can say that my first internet search ever was sailor moon of course because i was just like what do you mean i can search for information on anything i want Uh sailor moon of course Mm -hmm. and it just you know there was already people online sharing clips of the japanese version i didn't even know it was japanese you know Uh i didn't know what anime was so it just i got to what is anime let me search anime you know Mm -hmm. and it just it just was an explosion of all these things converging and happening in my life at the right time uh-huh. when my passion for this was so overloaded in my little 13 year old brain. <laughs> and here we are today, <laughs> almost That's... 25 years later. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I think, I think for me, my first internet search must've been baseball related. Because nice. I was a I was a big baseball nerd at that at that same age you're describing. I would watch every single. Uh, I grew up near New York City, so I would watch every single Yankees game. I was I knew every, every player, every player is in the starting lineup's batting average. Total nerd. 
Nice. Um, that was my thing at the time. Yeah, those days were very different, huh? You know, you had a lot more time <laughs> to I mean, fully indulge. Right. I mean, just being that age, absolutely. I guess I was reflecting more on just the state of the technology and the way people engage with it. And you doing that at that age made you very, um, it made you part of a very small group of people who had computers at home, had internet mm -hmm. at home, you know, mm -hmm. had, had a parent who was technically sophisticated and can help you with this stuff. That's a very narrow funnel as it goes down. I was what? in a sort of, sort of similar situation. My dad was a tax accountant and a little bit of a nerd, and he needed to have a computer for work. And so, you know, one thing mm -hmm. follows another. Yep. Um, and, uh, but I think sometimes about like what the internet was like back then before like the major forces of social media, before the, 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 the powerful tools we have now to connect like what we're doing here right now. Um, Which bless the internet for these tools and this technology. Oh, yes. <laughs> this ability to connect. Thank, thank all the extremely talented and creative people who made, who made this possible. Definitely. Um, that's a big topic I could spend a lot of time on, but I won't yeah. bore everyone. I won't bore everyone. I guess I'm just having a moment where I'm allowing myself to be struck because I don't get to talk to a lot of people who were engaging with technology in that way at that time and had a similar experience to me. Um, like I remember uh, first discovering file sharing, like before Kazaa, um, back with the original Napster. I remember, mm -hmm. I remember trying to get emulators to work for Nintendo games and that blowing my mind the first time I learned about it because I grew up <laughs> with Nintendo like you. And um, I remember, I remember pu literally punching a hole in the wall next to the family PC after the emulator I was trying to get work couldn't work, and I got so frustrated with it. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I Is that hole still there? No, I, I, I did a great job patching it up. Oh, no, my, right, well major, major parenting win for my dad. He looked at me and he said, "As long as you make it look like it would look before you hit it, we're fine. Just fix it." And uh, you know, nice. I got, I got a little help, but uh, I did manage to, to repair it. So. Nice. I kind of wish, see, that's one of those little totems. I wish I'd taken a picture of that. Mm -hmm. Going back to the earlier conversation. I, I call him, I think it was a totem, uh, a collectible. I like I that. Yeah. I did that when I moved out of my parents' house and I had a lot of little little ceramics that I had like painted at camp. Uh -huh. But I was like, I don't need these. Like mm. they don't really serve a function, but they're memories, they're precious memories. So I just, I took a picture of them. Mm -hmm. and, and then I didn't feel the need to, to, save the actual thing which just takes up space and sits in a and box they're fragile somewhere. and you don't see yeah, right exactly. right so I here's the picture and i have the memory here's a question for you then tangent what do you do with things like birthday cards mm, that's so tough i, I think no one's to... got a solution for this everyone i've asked no 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 <laughs> one had no one does there's no proper like right or wrong for this um I will, uh, if someone, I will keep them if someone has written, like if someone just writes happy birthday and signs their name, I'll, I will probably toss that like not after you're, you know, I'll, I'll keep it for a, a little bit, but then I'll toss it. All right. Uh, but if someone like writes a big message in there, yeah. um, I, I keep it. 
Mm-hmm. And then I keep them all. I have a box, but when that box gets full and I can't fit anything else in there, I'll go through them all, which again is going back over memories, right? And I will throw out the ones that have like the least amount of messages. You know, I'll keep the ex- the most sentimental of mm. the ones that are in there. So you and then filter I'll toss it down the whenever the... Mm-hmm. I could also take a picture of the ones, you know, Mm -hmm. that do have nice messages before I throw them away. And again, that's kind of preserving that without having to keep the physical thing. This is the thing my wife and I are talking about is going through and do a grand digitization project um, of all of our uh, all of our memorabilia that that can be flattened, at least (laughs) that can go through a scanner. (laughs) We keep saying we're going to do it and then we keep not doing it. I don't know when it'll happen, but uh, I have that. Every day I have, oh man, don't we all have that laundry list? Well, I can't even imagine for you, someone who won't even, you know, use a pencil because it's so sentimental. (laughs) How much, how much of a burden it must be to, you know, deal with all this stuff. I I don't have those pencils anymore. Oh, (laughs) I see. I guess that they they didn't make the cut, huh? Along with those, uh, those short birthday cards. I did eventually put the stickers in a book and I do have that book. There it so is. So I technically, I still have my sticker collection. But I don't have <laughs> the pencils. I, I actually still have some of the rocks. <laughs> so I do still have some of you those. rock collection? Some of those things. The, the little shiny, like polished okay. rocks. Just, yeah, yeah. just a few. Just a few, like they're bright colors and I couldn't get, I couldn't, you know, I'm like, they don't take up much space. They're pretty, you know, like I couldn't get, uh, make myself get rid of them yet. Oh man. I I would love to be just like uh like uh uh I would love to watch a stream of you going through the process of deciding which of your rocks to keep and just talking oh, through my gosh. talking through what's going through your head while you're like you know I have three rocks but I can only keep two and what this rock oh. means to me is <laughs> Oh my gosh <laughs> wow sorry funny a funny thought <laughs> <laughs> but no i i find that um i i say that in out of respect because like like i was saying earlier um that 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 um let's say uh good habit of holding on to things that help us remember the good parts is something i'm, I'm i've always been very bad at and so uh i you know Rather than reinvent all the wheels, when I learn from someone who's already doing it, you know, mm. that's kind of why it, I do it, these it, conversations. Sorry, yeah, in the of it. yeah, for sure, and it it means something different to everyone, and uh-huh. that's okay. Like, yeah. like you, you, like you said, like you know, like I have this one quaggin, and that's the only like memorabilia or or you know collector's uh-huh. item that I have, and. and but that's what works for you and that's okay. And mm. that one quag and you have a memory of, of, you know, the, the, the ice fruit saga event that you went to. Yeah. And yeah. I always, and, and I, I, I get sometimes people coming by saying, Oh my God, your collection is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And saying like, I, you know, I would either, I wish I had a collection like that or, well, well, I only have a couple things, you know, or, or I don't have anything for, you know, a myriad of reasons. Um, and I, and I always tell people, no matter how many things it's not about things how many how many things you have uh-huh. you can call it a collection do you do you have two plushies that's your collection mm-hmm. that's a collection and it is no better or worse than mine mm-hmm. and you could have nothing and it doesn't make you less of a fan it doesn't make you love that mm-hmm. show or that game less mm-hmm. 
So I just, I, I always want to iterate to people that it doesn't, this doesn't make me more of a fan. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me, you know, my collection's better than yours. None of that. We're all fans in our own way. And we mm-hmm. all express our passion for what we're passionate about in the way that works for us and that brings us the most joy. That's mm-hmm. when you're doing it right is when you're expressing your passions in the way that works for you and Mm -hmm. brings you personally the most joy. And the way you express your passions for things is not going to be the same way that I do. This just Mm -hmm. happens to be the ways that I express my passions and and Mm -hmm. what brings me joy. My husband doesn't get the collections and yeah. the, he, you know, he's like, he, he's uh, you, you kind of said, you're like, I'm, I'm curious about your thought process. Like, uh-huh. why do you collect and what do you feel when you look at it? Yeah. My husband says the exact same thing. <laughs> he's, he's not a collector. He's, he's not like a, a fanboy. He, uh-huh. he doesn't express his admiration for things in the same way. He is uh-huh. like, he's a huge Dungeons and Dragons nerd. Okay. He's a huge World of Tanks gamer. Uh-huh. He's, a, uh-huh. he's a, you know, he has very strong passions for nerdy things, for uh-huh. geeky things. Um, but he doesn't express it in the same way. And, and you know, that's okay. He mm-hmm. expresses it in different ways than I do. And so he does the same thing. He looks at my collection. Every time I get a new thing, he, oh, that's nice, dear. You know, I'm like, look at it. Oh, my God. It's so cool. He's just like, I, I literally said that once. I got this really rare book, um, this really rare uh, doujinshi, like, fan comic. Okay. And, okay. and I got it for a really good deal. And I was Ooh. so excited. I was like, I'm holding this in my hand. This is so rare. And I got, oh, my gosh, I can't yeah. believe I'm holding this. And, he, you know, and I'm freaking out. And he goes... <laughs> It's a book. <laughs> I was like, I know, but it's this book, right? Thanks, and and what's great is we respect each other's way of yeah. geeking out. Yeah. You know, and we appreciate each other's way of geeking out. So he never makes me feel bad for the collection, for spending all the money that I do on the collection mm-hmm. because he knows it brings me joy mm-hmm. and and I'm doing it in a healthy way. Which is mm, okay. which is important, you know. He's not like you know, he's like you know. I I try not to touch anything on your collection, but like, like if I accidentally knock something over, you don't like freak out and get mad. You're just like, oh, you know, is it broken? Or let me see. Or you know, that's okay. Or I just laugh. You know, he's like, you do it in a healthy way. Mm. So he's like, how can I be upset about something that brings you joy? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Damn straight. Now that's that's the heart of it right there. Um, where. Do you draw the line on what of what doing this in a healthy versus unhealthy way would be? Well, um, I, I've naturally inspired a lot of people to start collecting. I'll bet. Um, yeah. The, the number one thing that I tell them is don't go into debt collecting. Yeah. <laughs> only only collect uh, you know what you can afford. Mm-hmm. Um, don't rack up your credit card bill to to go on a shopping spree just like anything else. Um, because uh, I I went through a time in my life, you know, years ago, even after I started streaming, where mm-hmm. you know I I was in a lot of debt from school and medical bills and and mm-hmm. you know all this and all this stuff. Um, and and I couldn't. There was years where I couldn't collect. Um, mm. or or I would you know sounds very something, sad. Was that hard? Yeah, there was. Yeah. Um, you know, I just it, it it I didn't um because I couldn't collect as much. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't absorb myself in every little thing that was coming out i kind of okay. made it a side thing you just took um, some distance from it i took yeah exactly i took mm-hmm. distance from it and and you know now that i now that i can afford to collect a lot more i i do absorb myself in it more mm-hmm. um because part of the hobby of it for me personally um is the hunt 
mm. for the new stuff or the old rare stuff. Um, trying to find the best D for the newer stuff. Something comes out for pre-order and what's the best site I can get it on for the <laughs> cheapest? When will it arrive from this site? What's the best shipping to get? And that mm. it's like a little strategy game that right. I play right. with every new piece. And if it's an older piece, it's hunting it down. Can I find it? Is it in good condition? Uh -huh. Is it a good deal for how rare this item is right now? Where am I ordering it from? So I play this little strategy game uh, in the hunt for these things, which is a, a big part of why I collect because that process is like is like a game to me and it's very exciting yeah. for me and it makes my brain very happy. And then bonus, when it arrives at my door and I'm like, ooh, I love this character, right? Yeah. I love this, this is so yeah. pretty. And now I get to find a place for it on my shelf or yeah. attempt and, to find a place for it. <laughs> and then because you undertook a sort of adventure to to get the thing, that thing then is will always be a symbol of that adventure. Mm -hmm. So you're on both ends of it. You're you're finding a way that um, oh, I would say creates creates meaning for you. That that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is yeah. very helpful to me um, <laughs> because I, I, I yeah like I'll admit I I just don't get that. And but now mm -hmm. that you're 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 explaining it to me, it's starting to come together. Um, nice. so thank you. Thank you for indulging me with that. Um, tell me about a particularly legendary hunt, if you would. <laughs> I, uh, I, I like to, oh, shoot. I have it packed away, unfortunately, because okay. I'm okay. moving soon. So it's in a box somewhere, so I can't show you. But it's, it's a big pamphlet. I, I like this is my, like, my favorite example. Okay. Back when I was in college, um, I was insanely into the Sailor Moon musicals. They're live stage performances um, <laughs> of Sailor Moon stories. Yeah, sure. Uh, in Japan that, that happened on, mm. on stage in Japan. And uh, I was be over the moon obsessed with mm -hmm. these musicals. I, I knew, I kind of like you knew all the baseball card stats mm -hmm, and everything. Mm -hmm. I knew all the actors and actresses' names. Uh, I knew, like, you know, how many shows they had done. Like, mm -hmm. I knew all the stats and everything. I was super crazy into it. So mm -hmm. I started collecting. Um, when you go to see the stage show, you can buy a, like, pamphlet that has big full-color images of all the actors and actresses in their costumes behind the scenes photos like mm -hmm. they and i was just like these books are amazing kind of like an art book for the show that's cool and um so i wanted to collect them all but a lot of but there were hard they were rare and hard to get because you could only get them at the show mm -hmm. so only people who went to the show had them so they would have, have to sell them mm -hmm. online and this was before um not before ebay but like Things like eBay was a lot newer and I was kind of like just learning it. And eBay, when it came out, was kind of like an almost like a like a scary place. Like no one knew. Like I remember early eBay times, you, you hear stories about people getting swindled. You hear stories about people getting taken sure. advantage of. I don't know. Mm -hmm. if it, I don't know mm -hmm. if you shared that recollection, too, but. That's like yeah. Uh, I, I got very lucky. I was very careful, and like you know, okay. only people with good reviews and and everything you know that I ordered from. Okay. And you can trust the review system pretty pretty good on eBay, but but it is it's scary because literally anyone can sell anything or claim right. to sell anything. You're meeting someone in a parking lot somewhere, and it's like Ooh. right, <laughs> yeah. E-commerce was a lot newer, mm -hmm. um, so so I um I was collecting these books, mm -hmm. and uh, I was in college, and one of the really rare ones 
showed up on eBay um, for a great price. Hmm. And um, if if you any of you have you know if you go on eBay, you you know you don't just like buy it. Because there, I don't think buy it now even existed back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an auction. So you have to wait until the auction ends, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I just so desperately wanted this book, and I was like, oh my god, I forget if there were other bidders, but um, I was like, someone else could bid on it. Someone, someone could beat me, you know. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I wasn't made of money, so I couldn't just like bid some crazy price, you know. Like I'm like, I have to get it for like as cheap as I can. So um, I found an auction. No, this was before auction sniping. So okay. now you can just do an, use an auction sniper and it'll bid like right. for you at the last minute. So this was before that. Mm-hmm. So I, I was in college and going to class all day and the auction happened to end right between one of two of my classes. And I had like 10 minutes to get to already get from one building to another huh. between my classes. And the auction was ending right between those two classes. So... And this was before smartphones, so I couldn't just go on my phone and right, bid on it. Right. So between classes, I after my one class, I'm like ready, like the teacher's wrapping up, and I'm like, okay, ready, we good to go, go. And I run out the door, and I run to the computer lab in a building between my two the buildings with my classes, uh-huh. and I log onto the computer, and I log onto eBay, and I go to the the auction page, and I and I bid on it at the last second, and I'm got my backpack, and I'm ready to go to my next class. I'm like, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, and I and I'm refreshing the page, and the auction ends, and I won it. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, all right, class. <laughs> Uh, out class as so I run to class and like so every time I see that pamphlet I think of that story of running between classes and getting the, the auction in at the last second winning it and how good that felt and mm. it was just it was like literally an adventure because <laughs> I was literally <laughs> running from <laughs> to the, the auction end that's awesome that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome fun times fun memories yeah yeah especially like <laughs> You know, the, 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 so much of what made that story, uh, real for me was, was, was remembering like before we had the kind of mundanity of smartphones and everything being connected and having automation mm-hmm. on everything. Like you, you had to clarify multiple times there, like different times. That is a oh, great story. So and <laughs> it's a cool thing to, I mean, it, it calls back to what we were talking about earlier about the, um, we're calling the things that help us remember something useful. I'm just thinking about that for a second. Okay, thinking done. So fangirl, creator, gamer, collector. When did you decide to start doing cosplay? Ooh, uh, that was also in college. Okay. Um, I had known of cosplay before then. Of course, I was looking at, you know, I, looked, I saw pictures online and, and I had always admired cosplayers. Uh-huh. Um, but... Uh, you know, I, I was in high school and I had never, I had never really, you know, I'd never been to a convention. I didn't know how to go. I, I didn't, you know, like it was, it was all a big mystery to me and it was scary because, because, mm-hmm. you know, going, go traveling, I, I never like traveled anywhere by myself, you know, mm-hmm. and so it was just kind of like, I never even considered like going to a convention or cosplaying. But then when I was in, in college, um, I met a bunch of friends who did go uh-huh. to conventions and cosplay. Nice. And uh, so w- at the when OhioCon came around that January, halfway through the school year, they said, do you want to go to OhioCon with us? I was like, I can do that? 
what? <laughs> oh my god! And I was like, wait, can I cosplay? Oh my god! So I was like, they they opened this world to me, kind of like saying you can do it, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I because I didn't believe that I could do it. Right. And they they uh, before that, like for Halloween, they they were all dressed in their anime costumes mm-hmm. and they let me borrow some one of their friends anime costumes. And I I didn't even know who the character was, but I felt like a magical girl. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Right. Yeah. I was so excited. Yeah. It made me feel so good because uh, all my friends were doing it. And I was like, oh, my God, look at me. I'm a character because it was like this bright pink kimono. And I was all like happy. Uh-huh. And I was like, this this feels so good. And I was like, what if I could dress as my favorite character? Right. And so uh, they invited me to Ohio Con. Me and my little sister, we mm-hmm. both went. And uh, so, and, and we didn't know the first thing about sewing, but my mom sews. Mm-hmm. So you bet by my dad raising me in technology and computers and gaming. Uh. Well, my mom, my mom is very into sewing and crafts and baking and that kind of thing. Um, so when we went to a convention, where we said, you know, like, we want to make costumes. Look look at all these people dressing up. We want to do that. Mm-hmm. Of course, after we convinced them to let us go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so my mom, being the absolutely incredible, supportive, wonderful woman that she is, uh, practically made our costumes for us, made these amazing, co- like, nice. form-fitted costumes, Sailor Moon costumes, of go course. Oh, mom. Um, and, uh, you know, we didn't know anything about sewing, so she pretty much made them for us, like, spent countless hours making these costumes to the exact specifications that we wanted her to make them. And we even did, like, it's not like we were following a pattern, like, we... We, we want this and we want this and we want it look, to look like this. And there's there's no pattern for, for that at Joanne uh-huh. Fabrics. You yeah. know what I mean? So she like she was making her own patterns and everything, um, you know, just because to, to make us happy so we could go to this convention and dress up. Oh my. And and I know. And we did. And we even did an onstage performance and one best novice performance. What did you do? We sang and danced in our Sailor Moon costumes. We sang in Japanese in our Sailor Moon costumes at our very first convention ever. Very good. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So, and and that just, that we had so much fun. We just did it ever since. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I did it for 10 years. I, I learned how to sew. My mom kept helping me while I lived at home. Uh, she, she taught me how to sew. And I took it from there and got, when I got my own sewing machine, that was it. That was mm-hmm. it. I was mm-hmm. and 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 at that time, uh, like tutorials were starting to pop up online yeah. on how to do things and how to modify things and and style wigs. Um, uh, so I would go on and I would search for tutorials and just uh-huh. read the tutorials and learn how to do it and how to modify patterns. I that's yeah. why my mom t- gave me all the basics I needed, and then I learned how to how to do the rest myself. And until I got to the point where even my mom was like, "How'd you do that?" Ooh, nice. <laughs> Yeah, that is so cool. So I'm drawing a common thread here. Tell me if you think it's accurate about the thing you said earlier about collecting was that it was about finding a way that that was for you, that was uniquely yours of expressing passion for the things you're interested in. And I hear that thread coming through also with the cosplay. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And... How long did the cosplay thing go on for you? I did it I did it for about a solid 10 years. There was a point where I was going to like eight conventions a year. Wow. Yeah. 
And uh, when, uh, wh- why did you stop? Um, I, the, the person that I lived with at the time that I, that I was the group of friends that I was around very actively going to conventions yeah. to, I, I, I moved away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like I kind of, um, I, I, I moved and, and started a new life with my now husband yeah. and, uh, uh, we cosplayed a little bit. Um, but we really got into uh, Dagger here, which is foam, foam weapon fighting and medieval events, because um, that's where we met, actually, that this is going into a whole oh. other topic. But, oh, we got to um... hear that story. <laughs> Hold the phone. Uh... <laughs> All right. So, Peachy, the story of how you and your husband met. Let's have it. Oh, my gosh. So, um, wow. So... My sister started, uh, she got in with friends uh, who went to these medieval events. Okay. Um, that you go there, you come up with a, a, a role play name um, and persona, and uh, you, it's at, they're at campgrounds, and you, everybody mm-hmm. dresses medieval the entire time. No one's ever in mundane clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, some people role play, some don't. It's kind of just a, ca- a very casual kind of like a very okay. casual LARPing event that's focused more on um, a system of foam weapon fighting. Like there's a sp- very heavy sport aspect to it. Okay. Huh. But you can go just casually. And like, I, I took photographs and I like sure, taking sure. photos and just hanging sure. out with my friends and partying yeah. at night. And, you know, um, just a bunch of nerds at a campground having fun. Right. Um, and my sister got into uh, with friends who started going to those and one and she would always come back with all of these fun stories uh-huh. from the events. And, um, you know, I I would go to conventions I'm like, oh, my God, anime conventions are so much fun. Mm-hmm. What's this all about? I like medieval themed stuff. Right. And I mm-hmm. like camping because going back to how awesome our parents are growing up, they took us camping. Mm-hmm. constantly so i was like mm. i love camping and i love medieval stuff so like i was like can i go she was like yeah you can come so i went with her one year and um had a blast and i was like i'm going to this every year uh-huh. <laughs> so i start so i started going to all the big events of that um and at one of those events i met my husband um and because he it was actually his first event okay. of that um and i was about a year into it and uh we just happened to meet Mm -hmm. and our Mm -hmm. energies clicked and we hit it off and uh so so um i so that kind of so when when our two worlds merged when we got together yeah yeah um we did a little bit of the cosplay and convention thing and Mm -hmm. we did a lot of the dagger here thing because he was super into that and i was was, a competitor um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What he is, goes on the battlefield and What is the sport? Can you describe it? It's um it's it could be anything from just one-on-one to giant battles of a hundreds of versus a hundreds of people okay. depending on of course the size of the event and they have and, and they have like foam versions of medieval weapons and some rules uh, st- for swords, axes, spears, javelins, bows and arrows, um and pretty much any like medieval weapon you can think of okay. um and there yes there are rules there are specifications all for safety referees um, i got to imagine yep yep heralds as as we Her- call them of course. Yep, they're they they're there to watch everything. They'll call out if someone's, you know, doing something wrong or breaking the rules. Okay. Um 
And uh, and yeah, it's there's just a set of rules, and you go on there, and all, all of the weapons are padded uh, for safety, <laughs> and they just go out there and wail on each other. Do people come away with bruises? <laughs> it's all the same. Yeah, yeah, not as many as you'd think, hmm. because it's very there's a lot of safety standards. Every single weapon uh, that's used is tested before you know every day before battle. Mm-hmm. There's like designated testers that make sure they're safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm imagining your husband with like a secret. Like a like a um a gun locker, but instead of guns, it's all just foam medieval weaponry. Is that accurate? <laughs> Pretty much. I wish he had a locker to keep them all in, but yes, very accurate. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Picture painted. So you guys met at uh, uh, it's called Dagger here. Did I am I saying Dagger that right? here is okay. is the name of the sport. Uh huh. The event was Ragnarok. <laughs> got it, got it. And then you guys started merging your worlds of of uh right geeky fan right. Right, so he he would cosplay uh, and come to conventions with me, um, and we would go to Dagger here, and and Dagger, and he was so into Dagger here, mm. um, and it and it was brand new to me mm-hmm. that it was very exciting. You know, I had I had done the anime thing for ten years, and while I still adored it, you know, Dagger here was very new, and it was much much cheaper than going to anime conventions and cosplaying, Ah. which was another big thing. So we're like, we could go to like two anime conventions a year, or we could go to like 12 Dagger Hero events, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we tend, you know, went to tend to to do more Dagger Hero, and so um, we just kind of, kind of transitioned into that instead. Sure. And then... And I also got to make costumes for that, because I would make our medieval tabards, I would make myself dresses, I would make him outfits... That is really so. cool. And how cool that you guys found, um, had complimentary kind of um, uh, interest right from the start. Yeah. 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 But still two very different kinds of geeks. Like I said before, yeah. like appreciating things in different ways, but appreciating the same things. Like uh, mm-hmm. when we went to Dagger here, he, he was he's on the, the, the field fighting, right? And, and I'm on the side taking pictures. Right. While he's doing it. Right. And <laughs> we complement each other very well. <laughs> I love that. That is for me very instructive of, of a thing that I love to see when it when it comes out in the world, which is people finding a way to respect each other and like I and this this is a tangent I don't really want to go down too much, but one of the things I, I look at closely is places where um, fan communities seem divided against themselves. Um, in, in one way or another. Um, if anyone's following MMO news right now, World of Warcraft community is going through some like real serious stuff. Mm. Um, mm. Guild Wars 2 community at times has had its moments. Um, and I think during those times, it becomes very hard for people to see each other in the way that you're describing, like with you and your husband, where you saw this in him and he saw this in you. And that is kind of like a, a best case scenario. Um, one of the reasons I really love doing these one-on-one conversations is um, because I think that maybe the only way to to look at those problems is to actually humanize them. And um, a lot of games, gaming experiences especially, put, put a lot of effort into making the, the their social experiences, uh, let's say, uh, have less friction. Um, and the cool thing about that is it makes uh, some experiences more accessible. But the what the, the thing about it that I tend to not like is that it means that 
the way that you're in, that you're interacting with uh, with other people is less as with them as you aren't interacting with the full human. You know, they're not on social media. Absolutely not social media. Uh, another dimension of that. Totally. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, like this kind of conversation, like I one one of the reasons I really wanted to to talk to you is because. I think that it can be very easy to look at someone who does content that is not hitting for you a very, let's say, a very resonant chord. Um, like for me, I'm not really a collector, right? Um, but if we can find a way to surface the the thing itself that 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 emit, that the collecting emits from, and find a way to humanize those perspectives, it gives us a way to. Um, it gives us some useful, let's say, models for mediating conflict and for understanding what what a perspective that seems like it might be against you might be coming from and where there's merit in it and how it's not appropriate to just disregard or even worse, potentially insult or engage in a conflict with that person. Um, I, I see those kinds of um, negative outcomes everywhere, right? And... Um, a big part of the reason I feel called to do these one-on-one -on -one talks is to do those. And like, um, sorry, I'm, I actually am trying to minimize this tangent, even though it doesn't may, may not seem like I am. One more thing I'll mention about it is that that's another reason why I feel really called to try to talk to developers, um, yeah. for, for games, because I, I think it's really, really, really hard to be a developer who is sympathetic or empathetic with, the needs or or criticisms of of a, of a game's audience, but because of the way that the work happens, you can't really engage with your mm -hmm. audience in a fully human one on one way. Um, because at the end of the day, um, when your livelihood is based on projecting a certain image, is based on um, being very careful about the things you say, because uh, People are trying to plan things out, and um, you're when you're a developer and you're speaking, you're not just speaking for yourself. You're speaking on behalf of a huge number of other people and work that preceded you. Stuff that's not even done by you. So I think it's really difficult to do. And the things I that I find the most difficult to, um, let's say, ingest are when I see not just game communities divided against themselves but game communities and developers seeming to fight each other um because it, the way that we human that we can humanize each other is so difficult so that's kind of uh that's me and my pulpit apologize but i oh, I, I really like the story you told about right. you and your husband i really exemplified that quality to me oh thank you no, you're absolutely right they they're not ever able to tell you the full story or the full picture because like you said, it's it's not just them. It's an entire team of people mm -hmm. working on this. They're speaking for all of them, but they're mm -hmm. also they can't say legally can't you know non disclosure agreements. They legally they're they're the company mm -hmm. uh, who owns the product is keeping them from from doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think not everybody realizes that. And and we're when a product comes out, we're seeing something that they might have worked on a year ago. Right. And it took a year to go through quality assurance mm -hmm. and all of that. So, you know, when you're talking about when, when you when a developer is seeing, you know, their the you know, when the new episode releases or the new expansion releases, right. 
you know, they're already on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're, you know, they're, they, I, I think they go through a process of trying to recall when they were working on this content that the players are just now seeing is mm-hmm. brand new, mm-hmm. you know? So th- by the time it comes out, they might not even be the same person. Right. As when, as the person who developed that content. Yeah. And there's a disconnect and, you know, they've already moved past all the feelings, mm-hmm. you know? That they went, that they put into creating it. Yeah, because they're onto the next thing. And if if let's say your past work that you have moved on from in some way, not only in in time, but perhaps in as you say, like the way the person feels about themselves, like you, 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 um, it's almost like you're being called to defend a part of your like a past version of yourself. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think you're dead on there. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's just a darn shame when, uh, to me, to me, the humanity behind so many of the, the, the things that I, I can, it's kind of like when you're on the road, right? Like, let's say you're driving somewhere on a highway. Let's even worse, let, let's say you're on a daily commute, something you do habitually. So your brain is almost all the way switched off. And let's say something, something interrupts your commute. Let's say someone cuts you off in traffic, right? Well, what's, what's the thing we all do? We all assume that this person's an asshole. They're not paying attention or, or even worse that they're, they're mad. Like they want to screw with you particularly. Um, but um, I saw a great speech by, by writer David, uh, David Foster Wallace called This Is Water. And he described this exact situation. Um, and it, that speech is kind of um, an exhortation to encourage people to um, direct their awareness with, with intent um, rather than to revert to what he calls a, a default state of awareness, which which he characterizes as um, a, a deep conviction that everything that transpires is about me just because I'm experiencing the reality through my own skin. Um, and so if you projecting that through this situation, uh, being on the road, being cut off, if the situation really is about you, then yeah, that person maybe maybe they there's maybe they're, they're 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 dumber than you are. That's your immediate assumption. Or maybe they're less considerate than you. Maybe they're an asshole, or maybe they have uh you know um uh a sick child in the passenger seat, and they're distracted and trying to get to the hospital, or maybe they just got a phone call from a family member. Or, or uh, are getting a, a terrible piece of news. Um, we don't know. We don't know the things about other people's lives that add up to the behaviors that we observe. And there is a, a tendency to shrink down people to these easy stereotypes that, at the end of the day, aren't about others; that they're about us. And for me, I guess um, I feel like I can so easily see when I see something in a game that didn't come out right, let's say. Um, I think I can so easily see the sick child in the passenger seat. I think I can so easily imagine the mitigating circumstances that could result in something. I had a chat with um, Cameron Rich. He's a, uh, a senior game designer uh, at Arena Networking on Guild Wars 2. And um, he's done some incredible stuff. And he's working on Strikes for End of Dragons. A lot of people are very excited about it, rightfully so. Very talented guy. But he walked me through um, where he was at in his life when he designed the Drakkar world boss. And I don't think he feels like it's his best work. Um, mm. 
and it's got, not got to do with his ability, but with with his his mental state when he was working on that 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 stuff at the time. Um, and you know, I don't think you necessarily can read that by playing the event, but no, there is a serious amount of context that we can never ever be fully aware of, and obviously we can't live our lives in a way where we're always letting everything off the hook and withholding judgment indefinitely, right? There is like a, a critical threshold, but um, yeah, I think I, I think that <laughs> I made whatever point I wanted to Beautifully make said. No, you're absolutely 100% right. Beautifully said. Um, and it, it, it really is. It goes, it goes down to the core philosophy that we are all naturally, we, we see reality through our own eyes and through yeah. our own minds and that's how we all interpret our reality and and those realities are different mm-hmm. and, and but naturally we see ourselves we are the center of our reality mm-hmm. and it is hard to see it from other people's perspectives unless you actively try to do that mm-hmm. and uh you you can reverse it uh, I, when people are worried, um, I, I see this a lot as a creator, okay. uh, you know, people say, um, you know, uh, what if my stuff's not good enough? You know, what if my content's mm-hmm. not good enough? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, other people are, are, uh, going to judge me, um, or, you know, I, I do, I make a mistake and, and then, you know, people are, um, you know, gonna, gonna, people are gonna hate it. Um, right. and people are, you saw that content through every single step of its creation and and it, it something you know a, a 3 minute music video could take me 20 hours to make yeah right and i was there for that entire 20 hours mm-hmm. so i know the blood sweat and tears uh and and sweat on my chair that went into and and sore fingers that went into making that mm-hmm. whereas the person observing only sees those 3 minutes they see the finished product and they're seeing it through their eyes and they're seeing it from their perspective and they're only concerned about themselves and they did i like it, it? yeah mm-hmm. yeah did i like it was it to my liking and did it speak to me personally and then they're on to the next thing mm-hmm. you know most most mostly sure. um and and so it's it's Anytime someone's going to judge you, anytime someone's going to, it's all, it's about them, mm-hmm. you know? And then they say that, you know, if someone, uh, you know, people are going to perceive you as they want to perceive you through their reality. And, it, and, and it's going to reflect who they are and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. So eh, I'm kind of all over the place with that train of thought, but I yeah. hear I hear what you're saying. So <laughs> like in, in response to the the problem let's say that the fear of being seen and the fear of being judged um by an audience that inevitably inevitably will fail to see the creator behind the creation in some sense um where does that leave the creator how should we act you could do something i mean i'm i've kind of almost opted out of this because i've made myself the creation ta-da here i am (laughs) (laughs) but if you're making some creators want to be seen for them yeah some don't some never show their face never you never hear their voice they you know Mm -hmm. most authors i think they don't they want to be known only by their work not by themselves but then there are creators who do 
and and who who make their face and their voice mm -hmm. you know the content mm -hmm. um and and there's yeah there's a there's a big divide there one of my favorite aphorisms um about creators talking about their work is from a writer named charles bukowski and um he was being interviewed by a woman who asked him why he didn't choose to talk to some other famous writer of his time. I can't remember who it was. And his response was, me talking to another writer is like drinking water in the bathtub. It's <laughs> like, if, if you're a creator, there's nothing to be said. There are just things to create. I think that was his point mm -hmm. of view. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I, I could respect that. I've definitely gotten that vibe from a from people who I've reached out to for to do interviews like these who said, you know what, I don't need to. And I, I got to remember yeah. that, you know, um, yeah. that that's totally okay. Me, I love talking about myself. Gosh darn it. Me too. I don't care <laughs> why everyone doesn't love it. Why isn't everyone right? like us? This is the good stuff. <laughs> oh my goodness. The number of times I've asked my mom, like, oh mom, I've seen this really funny video of like, you know, my mom reacts to or tries to guess all the Smash Brothers characters, uh -huh. right? And I was like, you do a video with it? She's like, no. <laughs> I don't want to be on camera. No. Nope. She's like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's okay. That's an interesting that's okay. one. I, I, I've talked, I've had a halt, uh, short conversations with my wife about potentially having her as a guest on the podcast someday because uh, there's an interesting story to tell here about, you know, uh, we met maybe people which said that but um my whole uh first year and, and and a half of playing guild wars 2 was something i did with her it was her introduction to video games as a matter of fact nice so it's kind of a fun story there but maybe that'll get told someday i think that would be cool again yeah, feeling like you do episodes. it would be so cool but does she want to do it yeah <laughs> okay well I'm uh glad you tried it yeah yeah, it was it was a it was a it was a good thing to have at a moment in our life at, at that time. We moved on from it in a lot of ways, but it was very good. And I will save that story for another time. Uh, Peachy, can we take like a short break? Let's do it. Let's take a short break, y'all. Everyone, stretch your legs, um, get a drink of water or whatever your chosen beverage is, and we'll be right back. We're back. We're back with some adorable puppies. The reason everyone Puppy actually time. tuned in. Who's this, Peachy? That's right. That's right. This is Skipper. Skipper. <laughs> I got three little puppies, Skipper, Biscuit, and Jack. <laughs> You're a good girl. You're a good girl. <laughs> she's fit. She, she's a super crazy spaz until I hold her, and then she's just like, oh, mom. That is next. adorable. <laughs> you know, my my family dogs growing up always hated being held, and I, that somehow, Aww. you know, I think that might be more about me because we have a cat now, and it's the exact same way. Oh no! She'll like she'll chill out for hours. She's awesome, very mild. But then if you hold her, she's just like, "What are you doing? What is this?" <laughs> we have a cat that's literally liquid when you pick him up. He just you know, like all his bones just disappear. <laughs> oh, they're so funny, but they're they're such characters. Yeah, pet pets are are such a joy and a frustration, but a joy to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think that, that pets end up resembling their owners over time in terms of their personality? Mm, I, I, perhaps. Um, but I, I think they come with their own personality. And then 
I don't know if they imitate ours, but you influence each other's yeah. personalities. Yeah. Um, like when we got Jack, did he just come up? I don't think so. Um, when we first got Jack, um, he was a very nervous and like scared of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, like didn't trust us to pick him up or like we'd pick him up and he would like freeze and he was just very, a very tentative about every single little thing. And over time, through loving him and showing him it was okay, and, um, and, and he's done a 180 in mm. like the five years that we've had him, and now he is just the happiest, spunkiest little little guy you've ever met in the whole entire <laughs> world, and and he's had the a myriad of health problems that you like mm. you know injuries, and uh, he doesn't have any teeth. Um, uh, you know, but he is the happiest little guy you've ever seen in your entire life. <laughs> Dogs are lovely that way. They're just mm-hmm. like, and it's rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I grew up with dogs and I totally know what you're talking about. I got introduced to cats back in Christmas 2017 because there was a, a cat that had been spotted around the parking lot at our parking complex. And I live in uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, the part of it where it never snows. So close to the coast. And it was randomly snowing, and we knew there was a cat that was lost. And so my wife, of course, couldn't tolerate this fact, and she oh. grabbed a blanket and went out with a mission to to grab that Bless cat her heart. and bring it indoors. Oh yeah, totally. And here I was, here was I was like, hmm, I don't know if we can have a cat, you know, we don't have fleas, you know, what's what you need to worry about? And you go take it to the vet. And she's like, we have to rescue the cat. And uh, I was like, you know, and of course, it's it's a vulnerable animal. You can't help but love it. And and then after a day or two, it's like the 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 the, the she's staying here vibes are so strong coming off my wife, and I'm just like, I'm afraid <laughs> to get attached because we never have had a uh, as as a couple. My wife and I never had had a pet. We never been in a place big enough. Mm-hmm. And um, now, of course, now she's uh, she's very quite comfortable living with us and. Uh, we have all these little routines and um, mm-hmm. I, it's hard to imagine uh, it's hard to imagine uh, our domestic life without without that cat. And, Absolutely. Uh, like, I, I honestly think that like there's a like a palliative aspect to having having a, a house pet like that that can reflect something back to you. even if it's a cat and cats are like mysterious, you know. Like yeah. they're like you don't you don't really you know like what are they think what is she thinking about right now, like what is why is she staring at the wall like what's going on you don't really know <laughs> what's going on with, with a dog you're more likely to know, um, mm-hmm. but all the same it's just like knowing that she'll be there that she'll be excited flopping around on the ground when we get home or that she'll need us to feed her and be all adorable she gets she gets more adorable the hungrier she gets, which of is uh, uh, yes. very useful adaptation for her <laughs> they they train you as much as you train them yes exactly you totally. become a part of each other's lives yeah and yeah. they 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 change you i i had the a similar situation with skipper and jack uh um my uh sister-in-law my my husband's sister passed mm-hmm. away suddenly mm-hmm. and uh skipper and jack were mm-hmm. um they they were her two dogs, they were her babies. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my, of course my husband grieving and, um, yeah. he actually went 
he knew that she had these two dogs and it was just her and the two dogs. So he was like, they're, they're home alone in her house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he went over there and literally rescued them. There was a little tear in the window. Like the window was open just a little bit and there, and, uh, they, they're, he said he got there and their little faces were in the screen oh. looking outside and, uh, and he just like put it, he couldn't get into the house. So he put his arms up and they jumped into his arms and oh. he brought them home. And yeah. we had already had Biscuit, so we had all the puppy stuff at mm-hmm. home so we could take care of them. Um, and unfortunately, she passed away. But um, And afterwards, it was like, okay, so what about the dogs? And and me, I was already, even though I adored dogs um, at the time, uh, see, I adopted Biscuit because uh, I specifically wanted a Chihuahua because okay. my, my mom and my grandma... Um, like they had chihuahuas and so we're kind of a chihuahua family all right um so i was only used to chihuahuas i wasn't used to other dogs Mm -hmm. um and so suddenly bringing in two dogs that weren't chihuahuas (laughs) Uh was i was i was very resistant to it Hmm. um but my husband you know he he basically decided like we're adopting them we're taking care of them because otherwise we would have had to take them to like a shelter um yeah and you know of course that was yeah and um you know we're perfect he's like we're perfectly capable of taking of adopting them and so okay you know we'll get used to it and everything and mm-hmm. um but now i can't imagine my life without them mm-hmm. they're they're always at my feet they're always around me this one is my shadow like she <laughs> she is she, I, I call her my mini pet because she follows me around like <laughs> like a mini pet she literally can't be more than like 10 feet from me at any time uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> I'll tell her I'm leaving the room for ten seconds. Just stay there. Nope, she's at my feet. Like while I go get a drink of water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bless her heart. I would. I would. Yep. And I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> That's great. Pets are so lovely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, speaking of mini pets, I'm glad <laughs> you said that. That's that's a transition for us. We haven't talked at all about Guild Wars Two, and I feel mm. like we should. Probably. Okay. So that Guild Wars 2 is, of course, my conduit for getting to originally know you and your content. Um, I love the game. I know you absolutely love the game. Um, maybe the way we can start this off is by having you just tell me what attracted you to the game originally and um, how you became a fan of it. I uh, started in Guild Wars 1. Okay. Um, my boyfriend at the time played Guild Wars 1 with his friends online. Uh-huh. And I had never played an MMO. Um, I don't know if I had even, like, really understood the genre. I, I didn't okay. know about it, really, because I just never played one. And um, so I would watch him play, and uh, but was never really interested in joining myself, because I just had a bunch of other games that I played, and I was sure. like, I'll just go play those while you go play Guild Wars 2. Mm-hmm. Or Guild Wars 1, I'm sorry. And... Um, the the factions beta weekend came around where um anyone could go in and explore factions and so he's of course super excited about this yeah and he's like well go on my friend's account and just like just go in with a character and like you know just look at all the skills and look at all the shinies right and so i did and i was actually that with the beta weekend i think they they put you into like max level with all the skills mm-hmm. either way i was overwhelmed because i yeah. didn't quite understand mmos and there was the attribute system there was this giant list of skills in guild oh, yeah. wars one my oh, yeah. goodness skills for days 
And um, I just, I was too overwhelmed. I didn't quite understand what was going on and I couldn't like connect with it. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually, my first experience with Guild Wars 1, I didn't like it. Mm. <laughs> and I was just like, nah, this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, but so he, okay, he's like, that's fine. So he continued to play with his friends. And uh, just, I think over time I started watching him and hearing them laughing and having fun. And I was like, well, maybe I'll give it another shot. But let me start mm -hmm. from like level one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I borrowed his friend's account who didn't play anymore and started a level one character and, and he showed me the game and we started playing. And uh, when I started from the beginning and wasn't overwhelmed with all the skills and all the end game stuff, right. I was able to get into it and understand it mm -hmm. um, and ended up really liking it. And then for Christmas that year... Uh, Nightfall had already come out because ArenaNet was cranking out these these oh, yeah. campaigns. My goodness, for Guild Crazy Wars One. <laughs> so by that Christmas or the next Christmas or whenever, um, I got all three campaigns: uh, Prophecies, Factions, and Nightfall mm -hmm. uh, for Christmas, and that was it. I started from Prophecies and mm -hmm. I just played through to Nightfall. I and I just had a freaking blast playing through the campaign and the story and playing online with my friends and mm. um i was hooked from that moment i don't know okay. just something about the world and, and the mechanics of everything i completely fell in love with the the lore the the lore of guild, yeah. the guild wars universe is like so deep and so interesting and i just mm -hmm. completely fell in love with the lore um and from that moment i was absolutely hooked so i played guild wars one i have over like probably 2500 hours on guild wars one nice so when Guild Wars 2 was coming out, yeah. I was all in. Oh my god, Guild Wars 2, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what were you feeling when you found out? I don't know a lot of people who were, who were there for this. Uh, when you found out that rather than making more Guild Wars 1, they were going to say they're going to take five years to make Guild Wars 2. Was there some sadness mm. about letting go of Guild Wars 1? Or were you just like, yeah, let's do it? I don't remember a sadness. I, I was uh -huh. in a guild at the time and, and they were all going to go to Guild Wars 2, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that helped my transition because I knew all of the friends that I was playing with mm -hmm. were, were also going to play Guild Wars 2. And they're like, well, let's start the guild and Guild Wars 2 and all play together. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that definitely helped the transition and helped uh, doing all the end game achievements, getting all the titles, doing all yeah, the, the Hall guild of Monuments. Wars Yep, that's yep, high end they did was the... so classy i love that. oh so brilliant so brilliant doing yeah. the guild wars beyond content mm -hmm. um all of that kept us busy and then just playing with my guildmates and having fun and um yeah so the i don't remember like it being this horrible transition mm -hmm. and then just mm -hmm. like following the news about guild wars 2 every little tidbit <laughs> about guild wars 2 we got was exciting yeah. you know and then the yeah. beta weekends and so no it was it, it wasn't like this god-awful weight in, in my memory okay Okay. okay. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you said you started in, in factions, right? So Kurzik or Luxon? Kurzik. Me too. Kurzik. Yay! I think we're so outnumbered. I just liked their aesthetic better, personally. I was like, ooh, I like the dresses that the ladies have on with their corsets. And like, I, I don't know. I, I just liked yeah, the, yeah, at the time, style. I just liked the gothic aesthetic better. <laughs> me, I, I, me too, in like the in the, the gloomy forest. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Something lovely and edgelordy about it. I just love it. it there was. There was. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it seems like like over time, Luxons have won the cultural war. I wonder mm-hmm. with, with End of Dragons if we'll have a, any kind of a remnant of that uh, of that Kurzic Luxon. Oh, conflict. they have to. They have to. I I think I I don't know this for sure, but I I think in the lore those factions aren't around anymore. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if they merged. I don't know if they just dissolved out or turned into something else. I'm sure they, like, turned into something else. Well, but um, We're getting siege turtles, so maybe the Luxons won. Right, right. Yeah, you know? yeah, right, right. But they've shown a lot of concept art of House Helzer, but I think it's, like, taken over by Forrest or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think maybe the, the Luxons really won. I, I yeah. don't know, but... Oh, but we're going to see something. There's going to be references. There's going to be... St- I know there's going to be some kind of story yeah. there. Yeah. For so sure. I definitely have more I want to ask you about End of Dragons. I'm going to pin that for the moment. Despite that I'm very tempted to go down that road. Because we, we have some more bricks to lay, I think, for Guild Wars. Um, so at what point in your... Let me rephrase this question. When you started doing creator stuff on YouTube... Was it was it with with a Guild Wars emphasis or was it more of a general kind of focus? When I very first started on YouTube, I was doing uh, Let's Play videos mm-hmm. for all of my favorite Super Nintendo games that I grew up with. Oh, nice! I started with Aladdin. I did uh, Donkey Kong Country Two. Uh-huh. I did uh, half of Super Mario RPG. I never finished that initial Let's Play. Mm-hmm. Um, I just picked these games that I had just loved because I went when I started watching things on YouTube, I started watching Let's Players. Yeah. And I loved I just I would hours and hours and hours I would sit there and watch Let's Players. Yeah. And I just I, I was just enamored with this content. Uh-huh. And then one day I said, I can do that. Right. Oh, I can't. Right. Do, there's no re- I know how to video edit. I have a microphone. I, I'm passionate about these games. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was. Uh, okay, I, that looks like a lot of fun talking about my favorite game while I play through it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I did. And um, I did that for, I don't know, a year or two. And then Guild Wars 2 came out. Uh-huh. Um, I rec- I actually have still on my YouTube channel, uh, one of the Guild Wars 2 beta weekends. Mm-hmm. I recorded myself playing it nice. and uh, put that up. N- no intention to like be a guild wars 2 content creator or anything like that Mm -hmm. i was just so unbelievably hyped for guild wars 2 Mm -hmm. that i was like well let me just record myself going through the beta and my reactions to it it's actually my first reaction video ever which is kind of what my content is based on now Mm -hmm. um and uh i did that i did that beta video and then when guild wars 2 launched i dropped everything I, I think I did a couple vlogs here and there, uh-huh. but I did I didn't do Let's Plays. I didn't do Guild Wars Two content. I didn't do anything. Uh, my life was playing Guild Wars Two uh-huh. for like like just personally in my own time uh, for like two years. I did nothing. My 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 husband has a famous story of we were getting ready to go to a wedding, uh-huh. and um, I was completely ready. But he's like, I just give me five minutes and we'll mm-hmm. be out the door. I went and played Guild Wars 2 for five minutes because I had five minutes to, to kill. So I went and booted up and logged into Guild Wars 2. Uh-huh. And he was just like, are you seriously playing Guild Wars 2 right now? Like, we have to go. I was like, you said you needed five minutes. I'm ready to go. <laughs> My life was Guild Wars 2. So, yeah. And then I came back to content creation once that settled down a little bit. Really, mm-hmm. once I started watching 
other Guild Wars 2 creators. Uh, Wooden Potatoes, Bog uh, Otter, Matt Visual at the mm -hmm, time mm -hmm. were like big content creators for Guild Wars 2. And being very passionate and needing to get my passions out somehow, yeah. um, I started to watch these creators uh, while I'm playing Guild Wars 2, while I'm farming, while I'm, you know, leveling mm -hmm. up other characters. I'm mm -hmm. watching Guild Wars 2 creators on the side and, and, uh, and then kind of the same thought process struck. Mm -hmm. I can do that. Mm -hmm. I can I can record myself playing Guild Wars 2. I did it once before. Let's do it again. Because season one was starting to come out, and I was um, I had new content to react to everything that came out. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I was like, mm -hmm. why am I not recording this mm. and putting this on YouTube? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I just started doing that because I thought that would be fun because I had done the Let's Plays. Mm-hmm. So let's do that. And that was literally how I started creating for Guild Wars 2. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. So what was, is there any quality about Guild Wars 2 that you can single out that, so that two years of just like playing the game is something I so, I so relate to. Like <laughs> there've been moments in my life where it's like, I don't care. There's a game to be played. Like seriously. Um, <laughs> What are, are there any qualities about the game at that time that jump out at you as like being like, this is what I found the most compelling, or this was the most interesting to me? Is there anything specific you can you can call out? Hmm. I think what kept me the most hooked was having a goal, having hmm. an achievement, something I was trying to accomplish okay. in the game. And for a long time after launch, of course, first and foremost was getting through the story, getting to level 80, you know, getting that first yeah. character through the game. The basics. But once that, right. Once that was done, um, I wanted to try out the other classes. Mm -hmm. So I made my goal, my mission in the game to level one of every class to 80. Okay. By taking them through the story. To collect um, every class? Collect every class. Got to catch them all. And so that that was my my goal. And then once I did that, it was let's max every crafting profession. Mm -hmm. And it just went on and on and on and on from there. And so I think I excel the most. I get hooked the most when I have a specific goal that I'm trying to accomplish. And that, okay. and that goes till this day. My favorite thing is like I have a legendary to craft or I have this giant, you know, achievement to get through right now. The seasons of the dragon achievement where you're replaying everything right. um, again and you have this giant checklist of things that mm. excites me because I'm very slowly working towards something. And along the way, I have these little achievements, these little these little I can check something off. Mm -hmm. along the way mm -hmm. that that hooks me the most yeah and i mean i, I kind of teased uh, uh, at a moment ago but that sounds very similar to me to like the the physical collection of stuff like the a similar kind of process where you you have something you get excited about and then you kind of plan it you have an adventure around getting there and then when you when you finish it you have i mean i guess you don't really have like a Maybe maybe we need like a trophy shelf in Guild Wars 2 where we can like single out individual achievements to and like have like something like like what you have sitting behind you, you know. That is uh I think decorating your character with your, you know, your your legendary trinkets, your fashion, right. your ascended items, your all of that. So your character can be a digital collection of your achievements. There it is. There it is. And is there a, an achievement you're particularly proud of? My goodness. I do have a full set of heavy legendary armor. 
Yeah, the raid because armor. I, I I raided for year. Yeah, the raid okay. the raid one. Okay. Um, because I I raided with friends for many years. I think the first six raid wings I've done. Yeah. Um, uh, whichever ones get you the legendary armor, and then like one more. The first I got, four. I got. Were the ones involved with the 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 armor, and then the armor. Okay. Yeah. So the. I think I've done all but the most recent one. Okay. But yeah. Sure. Super fun times. Super fun times. So that so, that I guess would be an achievement too, is getting through all those raids. Are you like a hardcore raider? I I I was never hardcore, um, and I don't uh, raid anymore. I, I just I, don't have the time, um, and the patience. Uh, but okay. um, but yeah, I when raids first came out, um, a, a group of friends um for the guild that I was in, other than my own PG party one, mm-hmm. um. Uh, everybody wanted to, of course, try the raid content. Yeah, uh, so, that was such um, an exciting time. Yeah, and I don't know who raids oh hard, super hardcore Guild Wars Two content. Yeah, I'll give that a try. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good stuff, good stuff. And and you know, I we weren't like super ultra elite. You know, like sometimes it would take us two months to beat a boss. Uh huh. But we did it. Mm-hmm. We worked together, and we we helped each other, and we did it, and it felt so good when we took uh-huh. down a boss. Yeah, right. And um, yeah, it was great. I did that for for years, and had a great great time. Yeah, yeah. The raids were were an awesome time for me too. I also finally remember that, like you, one of my proudest, uh, I guess, ch- achievements in Guild Wars Two is also the heavy raid armor. Uh, nice. And I I remember at one time I was really hopeful and trying to get the um the title and i can't remember what it is what it's called but the title that's reflective of completing every single encounter in the first raid wing without having any party members die yeah Um, yeah the eternal i think maybe that's what it is eternal is that what it is yeah Yeah. and you know over time the coolness of that that title has has you know, it diminished quite a bit, but sure, sure. there was a time where that was like a badge of cool. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. Heck, oh, I wore that with pride. Yes. yes. I remember having the, um, the great sword that drops from veil vale guardian, the oh, very yeah. first boss where it kind of looks like the floor under yeah, the like veil vale guardian, the stones and like the, the yes. teal energy. It glows. Yes. Yeah. And, and it was like really rare that anybody had that. And uh-huh. I happened to have it drop. And I remember wearing that sword um, and people like random people messaging me in game saying, dude, what sword is that? How do you get that? That's so cool. And I was like, it's the raid sword. (laughs) (laughs) Me and my elite raid group. Thank you. It's awesome, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) That is cool. That is cool. I gotta say, I've I've never run around with like Exordium and had people like cool sword, right? Everybody knows what the legendary looks like, but the raid sword... Ooh, cool. That's really awesome. I've gotten more compliments on that sword after it first came out Interesting. Than, than anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a kind of um fascinating um like almost like a rareness economy in when it comes to cosmetics mm. where mm. people understand to appreciate things that are less common like that yeah. that are, are are striking but less common. So and the legendaries, maybe you'll see, you know, 25 sunrises when you go to Lion's Arch. But if you see something like that, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting. I want to pay attention to that. I didn't know that existed. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah. For a little while, I was really enamored with the uh, the sunrise precursor, Dawn. I thought mm-hmm. it had a really cool look. But anyway. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. I have a really fond memory of uh, when my wife and I were still playing daily. Uh, one of the things that we did was after Heart of Thorns came out and they put up, they implemented the, the legendary quests. And we decided yep. to use it as our excuse to pursue a legendary, our first legendary. And we went to make Sunrise, me and my warrior, her on her guardian. And uh, that was really a really fun, fun thing to do. Nice. Yeah. One thing to work work towards together. Yeah, and then like we crafted it together, and it's just like, oh, you know, going nice. around doing dailies with our sunrises and stuff. It was fun, you know. It was a, it was a cool moment. Um, yeah. The sunrise was the first legendary I crafted, and um, I was I started streaming Guild Wars two mm -hmm. uh, on Twitch, and. Um, the community, some of you who are here in chat and have been here for years and years and remember this and were there for it, um, I, like, crafting a legendary was so expensive. It was something that, like, I couldn't fathom. Uh -huh. um, but I always wanted one because I was like, Sunrise is so beautiful. Yeah. Right? It's such a cool sword. I love, you it's know, iconic. like, so I was, yeah. So I was slowly, you know, working towards it just real mm -hmm. slowly just by playing the game. And my community without prompt without asking just starts donating crazy amounts of gold to to get the precursor because you could just buy the precursor off the right. trading post mm -hmm. and it was like at the time i have no idea what the economy is like now mm -hmm. uh but at the time uh dawn was like a thousand gold oh and yeah. that was just unthinkable Right. At the time, I was like, that's an unfathomable amount of gold. Yeah. Um, and people are, you know, little by little, you know, one gold, 10, 20, 50 gold, 100 gold, like people just start donating. And I'm I'm just sitting there sobbing. And I'm just like, what are you doing? And because it was just this far off unattainable goal. Yeah. And everyone starts donating. They'd start donating like the mats and stuff. And I had done a lot of the work myself already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just like sped it up and got me there. And 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 I, I know some people will be like, oh, a streamer just gets a legendary. But mm. it's like the collection. It's it was about the story and the community and real people coming together like it, that to this day that sunrise that i have is my community sunrise that is a mm -hmm. representation of my community when i look at that sunrise in game i think of the moments i i think of how we we were we connected emotionally on stream yeah with my community members and when i went to craft sunrise i went to the mystic forge and lion's arch my community was surrounding me in game mm -hmm. I, I was sitting there, I was literally crying, putting, I couldn't believe, like it was a mind-blowing moment. I couldn't believe I was actually crafting a legendary. Mm -hmm. And I was putting the, I was combining the things and making the gifts yeah, and then yeah. putting the things in the Mystic Forge. And and everyone around me, everyone in chat, everyone in-game is around me cheering and they're so happy for me. It was like a moment of bringing the community together to create yeah. this thing yeah. in-game. And I actually have a video on my YouTube channel highlighting that experience. Yeah. And it's, I go back and it's just such a touching moment that I will literally never forget. Mm -hmm. And I, I could have, I could have got put through all, put in all the work and done all the things and collected all the things myself. And I have for other legendaries uh -huh. since, but 
I will never forget that sunrise. That sunrise is the most special legendary that I will ever own because of the community that came together to create it. Right. I bet you you can still remember the names of people who were there and who donated. I actually took names. I took note of all of the in-game names of every single person who donated at the uh-huh. time, even one gold or, or, or you know, 50 silver. Mm-hmm. And I credit them all in the video because I had time for that kind of thing back then. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing. I can go back to that video and see the in-game names of every single person who donated and made that possible. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a striking moment. And I believe you. I believe you when you say it was a surprise. I believe you when you say it was mm. a community thing. I believe you when you say it was meaningful and not just all about me streamer, me get stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that that perspective of streamers getting stuff and the kind of resentment that you can see from that, it calls back to, to me to what we were talking about earlier about the the default setting of seeing the world through your 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 own, you know, uh, reality. Assuming that the, that what's happening is about you in some way, and if someone else is getting something, it's, it means what it really means is that you're not getting something. And yeah. what have they done to deserve this? Um, I, I felt moment. I I, I felt fault. I can recall moments of feeling something similar to that in the past myself. So I mean, I'm not um, above it or anything. I'm just observing it. But I also want to add that um, the comment about the community. Um, I I read a really fascinating article. One of my viewers, uh, a fellow named Wist, shot me, and um, it talked about uh, it, it. It was kind of about parasocial relationships and that very complicated topic when it comes to streaming yeah. communities, especially. Yeah. But it, it actually did something that I really appreciated, which is it put some effort into explaining the need that streaming communities are meeting because there is a need that they're meeting. It's not like there's, um, they've created, it's not like when Twitch came out or Justin TV, its precursor, that humans all around the world changed some fundamental way. Um, and what it did was it described uh, the way that uh, human culture progressed as a result of the technological progress um, that allowed essentially people to begin making livings that weren't about being on the land, working on land. And when people started moving um out of the the farms, out of the agricultural areas, into cities and things like that. And when you do that, your life isn't with your family, isn't with the same people all the time. And people still have that need for family, but it becomes more and more difficult to a- attain that fellowship, that that very necessary thing that even the most introverted introvert, which I, I consider myself an introvert, uh, still need. And how do you get that? And it talked about like the history of like social clubs that would come up, um, things where you'd, you'd pay some token amount and there would be some kind of uh, an event you go to. So, um, and I, I kind of see Twitch communities as meeting the same need as those um, urban social clubs. And um, I think that we should be careful to careful when we dismiss moments like what you're describing as being about the streamer. I mean, to a certain extent, yes, like there is benefit there. You are getting a legendary, but you're also paying a cost by being at the front of this community. You're also paying a cost by putting in all the effort and hours you needed to do to build this community, to find these people, for them to find you, to build the rapport. And that is a job that is much harder than most people realize. 
So, and what, what, what we're seeing there is people who are, people are usually enthusiastic when they feel valued and, and like they belong in a community like that to contribute in ways like that. They'll feel enthusiastic about throwing in, you know, one gold, 10 gold, 100 gold, depending on what their means are, how much that they can actually provide. It's because it gives them, I think it gives them a sense of, um, of it allows them, let me think about how to say this. It's a moment where you can positively reinforce your identity, almost similar to like the power of the collectibles and the totems we talked about. Those moments of social, th 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 those markers of social connection um, are insanely important to our sanity and to our individual identities. Um, and I guess part of it, part of this is work that I did before you and I ever spoke, and part of this is me connecting dots. Well, I hear you saying what you're saying because, and I really want to make sure to say this because I, it can be very easy to hear the story you told and believe that you've convinced yourself, that you've rationalized an explanation for this that's not really about you so that you can live, so that you can feel okay about it. But I don't think that that's, I don't think that that is true. Um, hopefully I, what I said sounded fair to you. Yes. Okay. Yes, it did. It's like when you see... A, a a piece of artwork mm -hmm. and then you want to purchase that artwork to put it on your wall mm -hmm. because it meant something to you this person's creation drove you to want to support them in some way support mm -hmm. the artist it's the same with streaming <coughs> streamers are artists they're creators so even though our content is out here for free there are people who it means so much to them that they want to give back to the creator in some way. It's just like purchasing mm -hmm. a piece of art. Instead of a, a, a canvas to hang on their wall, they're getting emotes in Twitch chat. They get a little mm -hmm. badge next to their name that says, I supported this streamer. It's like having a piece of artwork up on their wall from a particular artist. Right. And they take pride in that. And it, it allows them to give back and it allows them to to feel good. I, I've I've turned down legendary weapons people mm. have offered me legendary weapons and i had to i started turning them down because uh, -huh. uh it was i said if you give this to me then i can't uh, uh it takes away my need to achieve that in game which right. is the fun part for me uh -huh. um and i've had people uh be genuinely saddened by the fact that i wouldn't accept their gift yeah. i was turning it wasn't just i'm going to give streamer something mm -hmm. rare and and for you know whatever reason attention or prestige or whatever mm -hmm. it was my contents meant something to them mm -hmm. and they emotionally connected with me my content whatever that reason may be in their life to connect to my content is you know is is different for every person mm -hmm. but it meant something to them and them crafting a legendary and and wanting to gift it to me meant something to them yeah. and when i turned it i didn't realize this but when i turned it down they were genuinely upset that i turned down their gift yeah to me and um i eventually i when i realized this mm -hmm. i accepted it and i said can i do a giveaway for the yeah. community mm -hmm. so you're not giving it to me but we're giving it back to the community you know i'm accepting your gift but let's use it let's pay it forward right, right. so that's right. what we did and then they they were they were like okay they're like I'm you know that that I'm I'm satisfied with that kind of yeah. in between, but that's when I realized that, you know while 
not only am I, as you said, with all the work that goes into streaming behind mm-hmm. the scenes that a lot of people don't realize, and and that's why streamers can make livings and and, and monetize their content, mm-hmm. um, because people want to give to these artists that that entertain them and that whose content means something to them. Mm-hmm. And so, my philosophy is, it, if it's not hurting me to accept it then who am I to say no to someone who's going to get joy out of giving me $5? Mm-hmm. It's going to, you know, they're not doing it. They're doing it because they want to, because they want to mm-hmm. support my content and whatever it, that may mean to them. Who am I to say no to, to and, and deny their gift right. if it's going to bring them joy? Because ultimately that's what I'm here to do is to bring joy and to bring happiness and to spread positivity and that's just another way that that people get joy from this content by interacting with it by giving. Yeah, totally, totally right. And you know, people understand that you know we we need we need these things to make our living. Like we, those five dollars, they'll be you know save for a rainy day or they'll go into the rent payment. People understand that that money, yeah. that what they're giving allows what they're seeing to continue yes. um, and it gets to be it gets to be the fact that it gets to be um voluntary makes it more personal i've, I've always yes. thought that was so so interesting and so cool as opposed to like you know like saying paying a subscription fee for a service let's say um where it's like okay me pay me get uh that's there's a sense of um I gotta think through this a little bit, but I'm I, I'm feeling like almost like a like a tiny sense of alienation in that kind of transaction. It's not really about you; it's about it your makes money. Makes it a business transaction. Yeah, and somehow the fact that donating, subscribing, um, is a voluntary action, and it's it's initiated not by the party providing the service, but by the party receiving the service. It feels somehow different to me. Ooh, this is painting a strange. A strange connection in my mind. Will you indulge me for a moment? Yes. Okay. So, I've grappled with over over the years the what I kind of think of as the morality of microtransactions and um, services like like uh, like like Gilworth Two's Gem Store. Um, there are things about it that that seem great. Things about it that seem not so great to me. But I think what I just said almost sounds to me like like a sort of argument on behalf of a system like that, um, making support um, voluntary. I guess the part of it that maybe that doesn't quite stick is the fact that you are paying for something. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that makes sense. I think that's where um, when the microtransaction is optional, you don't gain an advantage statistically over others in the game. Uh, right. It's cause. I always say Guild Wars 2's, yes, it has a cash shop, but it's cosmetic and convenience only. Right. Uh, except for the living world content, which is free when it first comes out. Yes. Um, otherwise, uh, it's it's optional items. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's not... Um, the game doesn't, like, prompt you... The, the player is opting in to yeah. that. It's not and- like you can... The sense that, that they're opting in m- means that in order to enjoy the content, 
you do that, that you do not have to engage with those microtransactions. Right. And this, to me, describes a sense that I often have when I engage with uh, the with gem stores or their equivalents in other games, which is like I feel some joy at being able to support a game in a way that is more in line with how I'm able to support it. Right. Right. You know, when I was a student, I couldn't do much. When I'm a decade into my career, I can do a little different. Mm-hmm. So that's how I come at it from. And there are even games where I, I pay a sub fee even during the months where I'm not playing it. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that, that the people who work on that game and that, then that community mean something to me, even when I'm not directly engaging with it. And I'd like to support. Um, and I do that even though, in a sense, I'm doing it for them. It feels like, more like I'm doing it for me. Like I'm trying to retain that part of my identity. Oh man, mm. this is interesting. I gotta think about wow. this some more. But um, anyway, thank you for allowing my my little tangent. They're um, always good tangents. <laughs> flatter me. Uh, <laughs> so uh, okay, I would be remiss. Uh, we are about a couple hours in, Peachy. I'd be happy to wrap this up pretty soon if you'd like. Uh, we can go a little longer. I, I let the puppies out during our break, so I'm not like sitting here worrying Smart. that they're gonna Smart. pee on my stuff. <laughs> oh God! No, I'm 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 deeply enjoying this. Uh, okay. They they the everyone else was not wrong. That anyone who says "Wow, Deeg is a fantastic interviewer," they are not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm uh, my 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 ears are absolutely burning. Okay, they should be. Well, let's let me try to regain my focus here. Um, we were talking about we were on a really fun tangent that ended up talking about Gemstorm before that we were talking about the nature of communities and donation, and before that we were talking about um, Sunrise. And we were talking about legendaries and sharing sharing stories about legendaries. Um, you know, I think when I first started talking about that, I really wanted to highlight what seems like to me from the outside as um, someone who I wouldn't traditionally think of as a raider engaging with raid content. And I wanted to, yeah. to pick your brain about, about what you think about that. If I could, if I could. About, um, because for like, me, like a stigma. I approached raids as, as somebody who I used to lead 40 man raids in world of Warcraft mm. back in college so like to me, raids were a familiar shorthand. I was I was ready to go. I kind of knew what to expect, and I loved it. But um, I also saw raids through the, my, the eyes of my wife, who she definitely tolerated a couple of attempts. Like she she humored me <laughs> for a couple of evenings, and she's like, "All right, yeah, you go have fun, Greg. It's all good." <laughs> uh, but you you really you really uh, were taken with them, and I I wondered if you could. Uh, this uh describe it or maybe explain um why my characterization about people who do and don't raid is is oversimplified or what's your understanding of that well i um i i had never done like hardcore raid content really uh-huh. um uh, in in an mmo before so um raiding was it was new to me in uh-huh. guild wars 2 but i think it was uh my combination of just my love for everything guild wars 2 and Mm -hmm. the raids were even though it was like instanced squad content it was still pve content which is which is my bread and butter in guild wars 2 so i was like okay this is new pve content um you know these 
Like it just, it was, I was, I was ready to take on the challenge. Uh Um, and I was lucky enough to be in with a group of friends already, a guild who said that they wanted to do it. And there's like, (laughs) all right, you know, all right, who wants to tackle this new content? Let's go. And I was like, I, I will learn, you know, like I, I never Uh paid too much attention to builds and gear and all of that kind of stuff, Uh but I was willing to learn. Uh, in order to do this content and experience it because I knew especially because I knew there was like some story involved in me I'm just like anything story like I I need the Guild Wars 2 story so that was another driving factor Um, and in the process uh, thankfully I got really into like perfecting my build and crafting the exact armor with the exact stats I needed and Uh looking up the build websites and everything Uh and what did you play because uh guardian uh dragon hunter dragon hunter yeah um, yeah dragon hunter dps and then at some point i switched to i did healing druid mm-hmm. and uh then i did i dabbled in a little bit of uh condi soul beast and condi firebrand so you played multiple builds that is yeah that's yeah. a raid lover right there yeah, and because I, I was into it, I got really mm-hmm. into it, and I, I, uh, uh, I, I ended up and really enjoying the build and the and the maximizing my build mm-hmm. because I because I wanted to be part of the team because yeah. you know if anybody doesn't do that, it makes it that much harder. And like I said, we weren't like super ultra ultra elite raiders, um, you know, so every little bit that everybody did helped, mm-hmm. and uh, so I wanted to do my part mm-hmm. for my team. And, That's cool. Uh, I had a blast with it. <laughs> that that process you describe of having a blast, despite the fact that I think you said it, it took like multiple months to get some of these bosses down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Doom. If, if, <gasps> Doom, Doom was the worst. Oh my god! It probably <laughs> took us like we almost quit. We almost quit. We're like we're never gonna get Doom. We're never uh, gonna finish this boss. And when we guys, finally huh? did it. Like, but the euphoria when we finally beat him was like nothing I've ever. The experienced. nerd screams. I love a good oh nerd scream. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> so that was that group of people who you did all those raids with more or less the same throughout? Um, a couple people swapped in and out. Uh-huh. Um, Jebra was in there at some point. Sure. sure. Um, but uh, it was mostly the same core group of people. Bog Otter was sure. in there. Sure. Yeah. I think that a lot of people feel very envious of someone having a stable group of people to do content like oh, yeah. that with. Oh, I think yeah. that it's pretty mm-hmm. rare for most people to have something like that. And a lot of the perspectives I hear about raids in around the community are formed by people who tend to engage in more like transactional groups, like they're doing LFG to find a group. Mm-hmm. Um, I think pugging is very popular in the European scene, less popular in the North American scene, mm-hmm. where groups come together on an ad hoc basis, but they're among people who already know each other. But not that like sense of, we're like the ragtag group and we're going to take it on and we're not going to be the first one to the finish line, but we're going to get there and we're going to enjoy the process. That very healthy attitude is something that I think a, a lot of people would like to know, w- w- would like to inhabit, but don't know how. It's hard with people's schedules and, you know, especially if you're a bunch of, uh, of um, you know, adults. Yeah. Uh, who are out of school and have jobs and kids and everything, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which our group was. So it was really amazing that we all got together every week. And, you know, there were weeks when we needed we needed to get subs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and 
you know, sometimes we got a really good sub and they kind of, they really helped they us through you. and sometimes, yeah. right. And sometimes it was, you know, not so good and we struggled <laughs> a little bit, um, you know, but then like there were, there were nights when we, when our core group, all 10 of us were there mm-hmm. and like, those were the best nights, you know, yeah. because you have your core group and you get to know everybody's personalities and everybody's frustrations. And some people get super frustrated when we fail and some uh-huh. people, you know, are more positive and, <laughs> and there's a lot of dynamics. And when you get that many people, who work very well together it, it really is like it, it you gotta treasure it because that that mm-hmm. is a very difficult thing to find yeah how do you like i guess when i say some people would like to inhabit that i'm actually talking about myself a little bit because my biggest problem with raids in guild wars 2 was that i never could find that group and i made a few different attempts um honestly I, in hindsight i should have just made something myself probably mm. i never i never tried to do that but um, I always felt like I was left with a, a group of, this is going to sound horrible, but disposable acquaintances where sure. we all kind of used each other to get the raid done. And if we got a, got some cool loot, that was fun. If we met our goal by getting the, the content done efficiently, that was fun. But the currency, that when you, when, when you have those kinds of disposable feelings, social interactions... The, the 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 currency that people feel like they can control is can I get this done efficiently? Can I get my clear in in you know two or hours or however long feels right to them? And then in order to to manage that expectation, um, a community forms that is 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 uh, is deferring to meta builds which are created by you know a handful of super dedicated mad scientists. <laughs> out on the, on the fringes. God bless those people, by the way. Uh. <laughs> and I think, I feel like most people, I know I certainly felt this way, when they're in that world of, like, I have a group this week, but will I have a group ne- next week? And how am I going to get my clear in? And when they're in that world, they're trying to to reduce as much noise as, as they can to make it more more likely to succeed. And that creates these weird feeling to me not enjoyable actual group experiences i guess i'm not trying to make a point about this is a thing thing that's wrong or this is a thing that can be fixed or should be fixed i don't know this is just a your very potent example of having of having the thing that i would want for myself makes me ask how does one get that mm. I stumbled into it. Yeah. It it was l- luck. Uh but at the same time a- um actually the the group that I raided with um I was in a guild called Maven mm-hmm. and I ha- had originally gotten into it because uh this is going way back to um it was a a guild of uh, uh bog otters mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. who he originally started uh he he played other games with them everybody started playing guild wars 2 mm-hmm. um and uh so they had kind of always been a guild and had played guild wars 2 together and um when bog and i started doing guild wars 2 content together mm-hmm. um he uh invited me into that guild of people actually it's reversed he Knew of when I started creating Guild Wars 2 content, he uh, t- took notice that I was a Guild Wars 2 content creator uh-huh. and um, had a suspicion that our uh, well, no, I'm gonna go on way too detailed of a tangent. Ooh, okay, um, okay. so I'm gonna try to 
summarize this. Um, okay. I was watching Bog's content, and I loved his content uh, for Guild Wars 2, so I would mm-hmm. comment on every single video mm-hmm. um, for... That was how I'm supporting a YouTuber was I leave a comment. Showing your enthusiasm. Showing my enthusiasm and supporting with comments, liking, subscribing, all those things. So I did all those things on every single one of his videos. Mm -hmm. And he took notice that this Aurora Peachy Girl is commenting on every single one of my videos. Um, And so he checked out my channel and saw that I was doing Guild Wars 2 content and uh, saw that like we, we, you know, our our personalities and our kind of like what we were going for, our styles vibed. Yeah, Yeah. Um. And he was doing, uh, with his guild Maven, uh, he was doing guild mission videos um, where they would, everyone would get together and do guild missions. This was before raiding. Mm -hmm. And um, they, you know, he would just record everybody's just silly, you know, everybody just, uh, all the things they BS about during guild missions. You know, Uh these guild missions are very easy. So, you know, you just, you just BS, you know, with your friends. Yeah, yeah. And and they're hilarious. If you've never seen them, mm. oh mm. my god, some of the funniest videos you will ever watch. And um, so he was looking for more people, more voices to mm-hmm. add to the chaos. Mm-hmm. And so he invited me to join the group and be part of these guild mission videos. Mm-hmm. And through that, I became a member of Maven and got to know everybody. And we all continued to play Guild Wars 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bog and I went off to create years of content together. Yeah. and um, Great partnership there. It's very oh cool. Oh, my God. Fan- fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will come back someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so then when raids came along, who, who wants to raid? I'm like, me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's the, the, slow, the slow roll. So I don't have any secret to finding uh, cool people to raid with, yeah. uh, except, I don't know. I'm hearing a lesson. I'm, I'm hearing a takeaway from my outsider perspective. Put yourself <laughs> out there. You know? Put yourself out there. Exactly. If, if people don't know yeah. you exist, you can't get, you won't get invited to anything because they don't know you exist. They, so they can't. Yeah. Right? That's right. So, so, and you, I mean, if you know, not everybody's a content creator, so engage in communities, you know, talk mm-hmm. about relevant topics, you know, talk, go into Guild Wars 2 channels, Guild Wars 2 discords, Guild Wars mm-hmm. 2 YouTube comments, and engage with the content, engage on Twitter, on social media, on Facebook, um, engage with the community, be known. Mm-hmm. There's people out there, there's community members who don't create any content. They simply mm-hmm. comment. They're in Twitch chat, they're on social media, and they just comment. They they contribute to the conversation yeah. about Guild Wars 2, and people, know, they're very known for that. That's literally how Bog found me, was I engaged with his content, not mm-hmm. as a creator, as a commenter, as a fan, as a viewer. I was very heavily engaged with his content, and that's how he discovered my my content, in, in cool. and, and just, just me in return yeah. so engage with with the community yeah you don't know what doors will open if you if you put your toe you in really don't yeah you really don't it's good it's a good reminder also a good reminder though to if if you ever if you do engage and you do get involved only do it at your own pace do it as is comfortable for you never never force your way in um and and put yourself outside your comfort zone Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you do engage and you're going and something doesn't feel right, this isn't the right community for you. This isn't the right conversation. Please pull yourself back. 
into your comfort zone, keep yourself safe, keep yourself comfortable. And there's always another community or another topic to engage in that Mm -hmm. might be a better fit for you. Yeah. What you're describing sounds very similar to my relationship relationship with uh, with Reddit and all the various oh, fan subreddits on. I don't even I don't go there. Have you Have you ever <laughs> I'm tried? St- I'm scared of Reddit. Oh yeah. yeah it's oh a yeah. Scary place. The only time I go there is when someone links me to a thread or a Google search takes. I mean, uh-huh. I've found so many answers on Reddit, but I go right to a page with my answer. Yeah. I don't browse Reddit. I yeah. Don't. I, for for years, I mean, I I love Guild Wars too, and I, I just wanted to talk to people about it. So, Reddit's one of the 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 places with the lowest bars to entry in order to actually join conversations mm. about the game. Um, it doesn't feel super personal because you're not in you aren't in a chat with, with your name in like a member list. You're just like a faceless person commenting on a website. But um, man, I uh, I found that to be unfulfilling, um, mm. and did not exactly what you're describing where i overcommitted to it like i would find myself taking like hour and a half long lunch breaks to write to write these really thoughtful feeling detailed comments that like nobody would read no one cared Mm. uh but you know it um, meant something to you to write it though it did and it was useful for me to formalize my thoughts but right the time when i stopped doing reddit was when i started doing my podcast because for me Mm -hmm. that was a better way of expressing my enthusiasm of getting out the things that I cared about. It's it's interesting. I think that we all we kind of come up with different words to describe the thing. Um the the thing that um I like I like to say about myself. Do I like to say it? I don't know if I like to say it, but it feels the truest is that I need to get my demons out. Like I've got yeah. these de- these demons inside of me and that's the reason that I do podcasting. That's the reason I create. I don't do it cuz it's like I mean, I do, I do try to have fun. Um, I do enjoy the process, but if it was just enjoyment, if it was just like the high I got from like eating a bite of ice cream, I wouldn't do it. Like right. there's something more meaningful to it than pleasure. It's, it's, a, it's almost like creating a pearl because there's a grain of sand and I'm just like, I got it. That thing's bothering me. I got to <laughs> deal with it. Wow. That's so fascinating how you describe that as like this thing that's it's it's a demon that's bothering you and you have to get it out. Yeah, that's fascinating because I I know the exact feeling that you feel because I feel the exact same thing. But in my mind, it's it's like I said, a, a, a it's a passion. I have so much built up passion and enthusiasm yeah. for this thing that it's just I have to get it out and I need an outlet. Yeah. I have to get it out in some way because I'm just all consumed with whatever my current hyperfixation is. Yeah. I have to get it out through creating. Yeah. Well, that's a but, that's, but to me it's a good thing. Uh, yeah. I'm, I don't see it as a as a demon or a bad thing. I don't know why I see it that way. Interesting. It's fascinating. I think it's because, I think it's because if I ignore it, I feel tortured. I think mm, that that's, mm. that's the thing. And th- that mm. is something that I have struggled with is this sense of um, submerging my interests um, with distraction mm. of some kind. Um, so, I mean, in a way, gaming was like, can be the great escape. And, yeah. um, and I, I treated it that way for many years. And my demons were tickling or were poking away the whole time, right? Like there's there's things that that interest me that I care about. I I just and it wasn't because I didn't want to deal with them. It's because I didn't know how. Like I haven't mm. figured it out. 
eventually I had been in the world long enough where I tried enough stuff where I think, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. And I could put enough of the clues together to be like, hmm, maybe this. And you find that thing and then it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like demons, it's our day. Suit up, put on some makeup. <laughs> we're going out on the town. Like that's <laughs> that's what it feels like to me. But uh, I guess that characterization is more about what it used to feel like, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But I'm really glad because that we now that you have found your outlet that this works one, for you. For this it. one is working. Yes, actually, like on a very on a very personal note, um, I've been really. Uh, struggling with finding meaning in my gaming experiences recently and i have this this deep this deep habit of i have downtime i play a game like i don't even have to think about it it's just so automatic and if i have downtime and i and i don't feel like i want to play a game i kind of don't know what to do with myself mm. like i get very confused and irate and just like you know um but i've been having a lot of a lot of trouble finding meaning in this it's it's almost like a sense of and it's I think, uh, without going too deep, I will try not to go too deep on this. Um, I've been doing, uh, taking some kind of very intro philosophy type stuff and because uh, I'm very interested in uh, symbolism and meaning and, and stuff like that and th the kind of things that, that we act that capture us from media experiences that feel like they mean something to us. Like we all have that one movie that speaks to us, right? Why? What is it about that experience? And we all understand what it's like to have a, a movie or gaming experience it's kind of like just a, bu like a bubblegum experience it's like a here today gone tomorrow didn't stick with me didn't need to experience what is the difference between those two things what is the fundamental thing and i've been feeling like everything is like bubblegum to me i don't know if you've ever, ever had this experience but like in the newest doom game you know um for the first person shooter um so doom is an old franchise right it's a newer version of the game that is polished to hell. It's beautiful, fast, and brutal. It's a seriously impressive game, and they 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 have some they have some fun with it. Those guys who make that game like to have fun, and one of the ways that they had fun was they put the original Doom inside the new Doom. <laughs> so what you can do within within the game, which has its own kind of progression, it has its own story and mission, and it has its own thing, is you you actually go go play the old Doom, and you can play the game within the game, and. I have this sense when I sit down to play a video game that that's what I'm doing. Wow. And it's oh kind of gosh. it's kind of fucking me up at the moment. Um, so he, getting to connect with someone like you who is, you have this ability to conduct enthusiasm and to show appreciation for things that I'm right now feeling like I can't do is, I didn't plan it this way, but it's, it's actually... Uh, it's a use, it, it, it's a very, it's, it's, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting something out of it. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's wild. That, that is such a cool and crazy and interesting <laughs> concept to think of it like that. I, 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 we go through phases in our life, mm -hmm. right? When I first started, uh, you know, streaming it was for the love of playing these games it was because i was playing these games mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm. and i was like well uh let you know let's record it and let's share this enthusiasm and this experience yeah and um while i never stopped enjoying video games um it got to a point mostly whenever it got habitual streaming five days a week for six hours a day at these yeah. times of day 
um, these games on these days, uh, it became habit. It became, uh, you know, routine. Mm -hmm. And um, that contributed to, while of course I was still enjoying myself, Mm -hmm. um, I very much stopped playing games in my free time. Um, I, I had no drive to play them. Sometimes on stream, I didn't have a drive to play them and I was having fun, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. It wasn't like sparkling. It wasn't calling you. Right. Right. It it wasn't even a, like, like an escape. It wasn't a release of energy anymore. I was putting more energy into it than Mm. I was getting out of it. And you know, it, it was it, it was a. Uh, it, I'm still struggling with it. I actually took like a five month semi hiatus this year after mm-hmm. five years of streaming 30 hours a week, mm-hmm. and that's just time live. Um, yeah. That I I I broke one day earlier this year, and I mm-hmm. said I I can't do this anymore. I have mm-hmm. to stop. I have to take a break. I have to do something, but I I cannot do this at this right. rate anymore. And um, so I just kind of streamed very randomly uh, whenever I felt like it. If I needed to take 10 days off, I took 10 days off and mm-hmm. um, and, you know, kind of refound, rekindled my love okay. of why I played games and what was, you know, what how to get more energy out of out of them than put more energy into them, because that's yeah. what games should be fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I can't. It's difficult to share my raw enthusiasm and passion when I'm not feeling it and Mm -hmm. when that energy is coming out of me in the wrong way. Mm. And so I had to take some time to refine that. And I I think I'm I'm finally rekindling it now Um, and it feels good. And since I've rekindled it, I am starting to play games for fun more in my off time. Uh Uh-huh. ever since I kind of took that break away from it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's it, just because you're not feeling that right now, you might, you know, you might not need to feel a certain way about games right now. Yeah. Or, you, or, you know, just g- go with what feels right when you play a game or create content. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. No, I'm really, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Um, what, what you, Something like what you went through those those months ago sounds sort of similar to what I may be feeling now. Um, mm-hmm. Although I, out. I, I mean, I, I do play a lot of games, but I mean, compared to what you were doing, which is streaming thirty hours a week, what I I mean, that level of burnout and that level of dedication to streaming, first off, is something I have a hard time imagining personally. I mean, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of output. Um, I um, so that's awesome. But I can also imagine how tremendously burnt out you would have felt when you finally got to that point. Um, so it sounds like for you, was it mostly a matter of just distance or was there something in particular that, um, you know, with, with food, they, there are certain things they call palate cleansers. Were there any palate mm. cleansers that you t- made use of in this process? Or um, I think it was trying to learn the... Uh, learn how to relax which is still uh, difficult for me okay um i it goes you you kind of said this earlier too with yourself where um kind of it's hard to turn my brain off it's hard because you have all of these things bursting in you at all times and you mm. want to get them out the and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's I, I think my demon is that i'm 
you had said something about if you ignore that grain of sand, then mm -hmm. it gnaws at you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's when you kind of have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I can't, I don't have the ability or the option to ignore it. Mm, okay. It's there, These the, my passions, these characters I love, these series I love, content creation, thinking about what's the next thing I can create. Mm -hmm. It is extraordinarily difficult, if not sometimes impossible, for me to turn that off or ignore it. Mm -hmm. And thus, it's hard to rest. It's hard to relax. Mm -hmm. Like in the evening, like it's hard for me to just sit on the couch, eat some ice cream and watch TV without thinking about anything. Mm -hmm. It's extraordinarily mm -hmm. hard for me to do that. And thus, I don't get the chance to turn my brain off. And that causes built up stress. Mm -hmm. And that's what was happening. So I think in those five months I took off or semi off because <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. I can't stop content creating. Uh, also because I couldn't spend that time away from my community because mm -hmm. they're so important to me. I just I, I every day I didn't stream. I felt horribly guilty. Um, but that was something else that I also had to get over. Right. I had to move past those feelings of guilt no matter how many times my community said, no, Peachy, please rest. Please take a break. You know, we're, we're, we'll be here. We love you. Mm -hmm. My brain just felt nothing but stabbing guilt. Right. Um, so I had to get past that too. That was very tough. That, that mm -hmm. first day after I said, I'm going to take a hiatus, that very first day when normally I would have streamed on that day, normally I would have been scheduled to stream and telling myself not to, that was the worst day mm -hmm. I have like, ever experienced because i was just like it was the guilt was overwhelming for that entire day and then and then got better and got better yeah. um but yeah so so i think the kind of my palate cleanser um and my husband helped me a lot with this was kind of learning um how to relax and and learning and like i'm still learning how to do it um sure. but i've gotten sure. a lot better at it um, and, and also focusing on, um, other, other projects, um, which I've got a million projects all the time. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I was really getting into, um, writing, um, oh. fan fiction, but we don't, that's a whole nother topic. Okay. Uh, okay. but, um, one of the things I was struggling with while streaming 30 hours a week at a certain set time was mm -hmm. that, um, I didn't have enough time in the mornings um to write and that was starting to get to me because that was my current outlet my current creative mm -hmm. outlet that worked for me at the time um and when i was extraordinarily limited because of streaming in in being able to express through that outlet it it just wore on me and wore on me and wore on me mm -hmm. and i think i have when now that i'm back i've struck a healthy balance where now i start 2 hours later i start streaming at noon so that i have a like 3 hours to write in the morning yeah. and that's enough to give me that creative outlet that yeah. i need right now mm -hmm. and stream and have that so it's it's about finding the balance that works for you at this time in your life. Yeah. Boy, that sounds right. That sounds like you've rung the gong of truth right there. Mm. I, I I hope it rings true for someone. You know, if someone takes, I always say when I go on these little peachy rants, as my mm -hmm. community calls them, <laughs> um, 
I all I hope is that you know maybe if a couple words rang true to someone and made them right. go oh you know I didn't see it from that perspective then then I'm happy you yeah. know because that's happened so many times in my life it was actually another streamer um uh uh Liger I am so blanking on his Twitch name um <laughs> Albino Liger okay um took a an eight month hiatus. Uh, from streaming because the same thing burnout yeah. he needed he needed time away and he had just come back to streaming on the same day that that my burnout hit super hard okay and talking to him about it on his stream his first stream back he uh. kind of gave some insight he went on his own little rant about how about how his he needed his break he got burnt out and whether he knew it or not, I actually told him later that he was my inspiration for taking my hiatus yeah. because a couple of the words that he said rang true in my mm -hmm. brain and sparked me to take care of myself. So you never know what just a couple words, a couple sentiments are going to really ring true to someone in their life. Yeah, I think that is really true. I think you're definitely passing on the torch of those insights, to, at least to me personally. Thank you. So, I hope so. Well, I, I really I'm appreciate that you shared that because, uh, yeah, I was just literally hanging out with my buddy, uh, my MMO buddy, who I played most MMOs with last night. And he, I said, let's play something. He said, okay, what? And I was just like, I was kind of annoyed with him because I wanted him to pick, you know? Mm. So I just like, I don't know. Like, I... And I went on this like hour long rant with him, be like, nothing, nope, games are meaningless. They're stupid. What the hell's the point of video games? And uh, he said, uh, he said, okay. And then, uh, and there he is in the chat right now, right, right now. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's, um, and you know, it's not so much that I need to, you know, validate or fix the fact that I'm not, that I'm not playing a game or not enjoying games. Like, it's okay. It's not really about that for me because games are kind of like a shorthand for me for like um, relaxing, a shorthand for me for um, uh, rest, relaxation, R&R. And, &R. and um, it's kind of like you're, it's kind of like going to bed one night and then you can't sleep in your bed anymore because for some reason it, you, it's, it's uncomfortable. You can't, there's something wrong with it. And the inability to sleep, it sucks for a night after a week, it is agony. And that's the, the kind of feeling that I'm I'm sort of getting about like every single night for a couple of weeks, just sitting down and being like, wow, a couple hours I spent playing games didn't give me anything back. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I will need to meditate on that. But thank you for sharing that. Don't lament the loss of that outlet because that just means it's not right for you right now. Yeah. And you love it so much that I'm sure it'll come back. Mm. But it'll come back when it's ready. Don't try and force a method of relaxation because then it's not relaxation mm -hmm. if you're trying to force it. And, and, and trust me, I understand the, well, mm -hmm. video games relax me. Why are they not relaxing me? And that's okay. You just need a little bit of a break away from that particular method. Yeah, I guess there's a... And that's okay. I appreciate that. I think there's actually this 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 part of it that actually I'm gonna admit scares me, and this is like not a rational thing. This is like a totally like like uh, lizard brain thing, <laughs> where I have this 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 worry that maybe I'm somehow moving past gaming, mm -hmm. and that 
is freaking me out because that's always been mm -hmm. like, to me, what feels like a foundational part of my identity. Mm -hmm. And you know, you what you just laid out, that is most likely what will happen. Most likely I'll just, mm -hmm. you know, I'll have a palate cleanser and I'll be like, oh, that looks cool. And big surprise, it'll be a video game. But mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. it's, I think that, oh man. It's hard when something is so integrated into your life. Yeah. And then you lose it. Like I go through that with I like I get hyper fixated on characters hmm. and um like I I I get so fixated on certain characters they're all I can think about and they're all I want to create for and same thing the thought of them not being the center of my universe anymore terrifies me because huh. then it, you'll feel a loss right like what. What will I? What will yeah. I have? Right, yeah, it's, it's I, part I of your identity. Yeah, right. I, I literally, it's so a part of my identity. I have made it so a part of my identity mm -hmm. that I will go as far as people recommending like uh, an anime to me. I will have a fear of watching that anime and falling so in love with it that I forget. I'm sorry. That I forget my current hyperfixation, and right now mm. I can't. I can't imagine my world without my current hyperfixation. Mm -hmm. So the thought of a new one taking over is scary mm -hmm. to to my current brain. Like I, I won't want to create for them anymore. But that's okay, and I tell myself it's okay because if that happens, mm -hmm. if that happens, you will fall just in love with the new one, and it doesn't mean the old one went anywhere. It just means that you'll you'll feel that way about something new, and that's okay. When I was a teenager, and this this is why I'm number one. I list fangirl mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. So when I was a, a teenager um, in Sailor Moon, uh, Sailor Neptune and Uranus were mm -hmm. my hyperfixation. They were my everything that I wanted to create for. They were the center of my universe. Those two characters and their relationship, absolute center of my universe. And I couldn't imagine my life without them. Mm -hmm. They're still here. I still love them, but they're not the center of my universe anymore. Mm -hmm. Now I have a couple from Kingdom Hearts that is the center of my universe. Yeah. And it's shifted, but that's I'm a different person than I was as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And they fulfill a different need in my brain. And that's okay. I, I'm not lament as a person now, I'm not lamenting the loss of them. I'm celebrating them. Mm -hmm. So and 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 so I, I have to tell myself that if my life, if my interests, if my hyperfixations move in a different direction and I embrace it, it'll be what's right for me at the time. So it's okay to explore. It's okay to let this go for a little while because I will have embraced this new thing and let myself enjoy it. This is actually unreal how much I feel like I needed to hear that. <laughs> I'm uh, so glad. Sorry, I just like literally like feel like it's, it's, I feel silly admitting it, but I feel like something just like unknotted in my chest when you said that. I'm so <sighs> glad. <sighs> Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> there you go, chat. Peachy rants. This is why they Powerful. like the peachy rants. <laughs> Powerful peachy rants. It's, I'm convinced. <laughs> this is why I list fangirl number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a, I don't know. I think I'm your biggest fan now. <laughs> After that. 
Yeah, like it is. It is just so hard. Like the it is so hard. Mm. Breathe. There's there's so much advice out there. It is oh, so hard to find advice so that's useful to you to us as as an individually, right? That's the key. I, Finding what's right for you, for the you that's existing right now. Right, not the you that, not the you that I loved being at that one party two years ago. Mm -hmm. Not the mm -hmm. not the you that I was in that amazing stream that I did, but the you I that me I am today. That's that's yeah. a true truth, capital T truth right there. <laughs> okay, well, I would love to continue on, Peachy. Do you want to keep going? Or are you mm. feeling good about this? We can go for a little bit longer. I don't want to push it. A little you. bit longer. So you just, you just give me the no. signals, okay? Okay, yeah, let's okay. go for a little bit longer. It's it's 11, so yeah. I'm, okay. I'm getting tired, but this is a joy. You doing okay, chat? Having fun? What about you, chat? <laughs> I love seeing all of the familiar faces. You guys bring me so much joy. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's think of a, a topic pivot. I think we were talking about Guild Wars... Um, so maybe this is sort of related. Um, I uh, watched your recent Guild Gab that you did with mm, uh, Al Alex and Corvus and Inks, those, those lovely gentlemen, about um, uh, the end of Dragon's announcement, all the hype mm. there, um, which hype that I completely share. And yes. um, I didn't realize it at the time that it had been, I think you, what was said was a couple of years since the last time a Guild Gab happened. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. End of 2019, uh, with the beginning of the Ice Brood Saga, was the yeah. last one that we did. I'm sort of inferring that maybe the reason for that two-year gap might have something to do with what we were just talking about and not having excitement. I'll let you explain why, but... Yeah, yeah, that was it, basically. Um we all just kind of became a little bit dispassionate with Guild Wars 2. It became uh, a matter of... Because we used to do a show once a week, mm -hmm. which is crazy. Yeah, it's um, awesome. At the height of all of our Guild Wars 2 excitement mm -hmm. and everything, and, mm -hmm. and you know, new content always coming out. It's always something to talk about, and we were mm -hmm. all super passionate and keeping up on the game. Um, so we did a show every week because there was always something to talk about. We could easily fill a two-hour show. Um, but it just got to a point where content was, you know, getting f further apart. Um, you know, the, the community as a whole kind of wasn't, you know, was falling out of it a little bit. And, um, and, and us too, you know, we were kind of, we were, we were doing a show every week because that was the routine. Right. Um, but we got to the point where we would do a show, but we weren't quite sure what to talk about mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, because the enthusiasm wasn't quite there. Mm -hmm. And even when the new Ice Brood Saga episodes came out, uh, you know, the prologue was amazing and we mm -hmm. were super excited that about was very that. Fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the prologue was incredible. Um, but then episode one came out and it was just kind of, it was all right, mm. you know. And we were we were already in the, in the mode of being a little bit dispassionate about it. And um, so we just kind of, you know, said, you know, instead of struggling to talk about something, you know, let's just take a little bit of a break. Yeah. You know, none of us are super passionate about it right now. And so let's just take a break. And then, um, yeah, like, you know, just, I, 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 I hate to like blame it on the ice brood saga, 
Um, you know, but but I can't deny that it was like we we didn't really want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're like uh, we just weren't excited about it. Um, I still did my my reaction videos, everything you know, and everything, and yeah. and and then uh, of course it didn't help that COVID hit and the the episodes were coming out without voice acting and everything, right. and yeah. bless them for still getting the episodes out, you mm-hmm. know, despite that. Mm-hmm. Like they're the devs did an amazing job. Um, you know, especially but, a so shame just, with, about the the COVID and the voice acting because those episodes yeah. were were bangers, like mm-hmm. Drizzlewood mm-hmm. Coast, really fun map, the the Char story. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was really yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. They they were cool and it was good content. We just weren't passionate about it, which is what Guild Gab is, is we're passionate about the story mm. and the game and what's going on. So mm-hmm. when we had lost that passion, you know, we just kind of fell out of it. But then with End of Dragons, yeah. a lot of people in the community, a lot of people, us included, our passion has come back for it. The tone um, has really changed. It really has. It mm. really has, and 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 thank goodness for it, because mm. I I do not think Guild Wars Two was in a very good good place. Yeah. Um, but now it is at the the kind of marketing that they're doing now, um, teasing the elite specs again, which is something that everybody praised them for, especially content creators, praised yes. them for, uh, you know, during the Heart of Thorns era. And um, so that now that they're doing that again, they're doing a lot of things right. Mm-hmm. again and rekindling the community and rekindling that passion and so i really hope that they take take good notes that this this works doing it this way works mm-hmm. um so yeah you know we're we're not going to do a guild gab a week um but uh you know absolutely the guys are like yeah let's you know let's do it more frequently as end of dragons information comes out and everything mm-hmm. you know whenever mm-hmm. we we feel like we got a show we'll do a show Sounds very similar to the what you were saying before about come back to it when you're excited to do it. That that kind yeah. of whole approach of yeah, you know, if it's if it's not in you, take some take some time from it and come back to it when mm-hmm. it feels like it's right. And that's exactly what you've exactly. done. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a running theme here. You guys notice if you're that's... you're forcing if you guys are forcing something, take a break, take a step back. It's okay. Yeah, you know. To, uh, side note. One of my favorite ways to manage that feeling when I'm playing uh, Guild Wars 2 on a daily basis is I use uh, uh, the Arc DPS add-on to turn off the little daily, the little daily d- daily oh, quest part of the UI. Oh yeah. Because if if I see that up there, I I, I want to clear it. I want to clear that you want that, that that those quests get them done, but that mm-hmm. I end spending all my time just doing dailies. And I'm like, what? That's not mm-hmm. like I didn't like decide how I'm gonna play. Like I. I have, Kind of like it was decided for me, so gotcha, that's one of the yeah. that's one of my personal reminders. Oh yeah, turn that off. But um, that's not what I want to focus on, really. Um, I did want to just just like say a word for people who are watching this and aren't so familiar with the Guild Wars scene, like 2019. Um, like so, rough chronology very quickly is uh, we were building up to a very climactic ending with the season four Living World, which had launched mm. immediately in like incredible pacing right from the path of fire expansion that, start, that dropped at the end of 2017 yeah. wow <laughs> season four the ending was amazing some of the most incredible like marriages of art and design and story and everything yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that the game has ever had um but then it, as those things were dropping all of a sudden uh everybody announced large layoffs 
the shuttering of unannounced projects, and there's a lot of confusion about what's, what the future was going to be like. And then the brilliant conclusion of um, season four, which I actually just, just re-watched your reaction to this morning to remind oh, really? myself. Yeah. Oh, and I, I love watching people's reactions to that because I just, that, that ending, uh, okay, this could be mm. a, a total tangent, but I'm, I'm going to make the point first, then I'll come back to it, which is that that um, brilliant ending ended without a hook for the future, which every mm. single time a living world season had ended before, it ended with a hook for the future. Yeah. And the layoffs and the no hook for the future and the not knowing what's coming next, and it's like, well, if we're doing an expansion every two years, we should be like hearing pretty soon, right? What's going on? And then uh, the Icebridge Saga announcement came, and a lot of people who really wanted to be excited about it were very excited about the Icebridge Saga. We really heard a reading that say we want to bring an expansion like feature set into this episodic um, um, way of telling the, the Guild Wars 2 story. Um, and then as you say, as the content actually began to came out, we were like, hmm, this doesn't really feel like the Guild Wars 2 that we want to be seeing. Not exactly. This is not what what gets gets us excited, but gets up, uh, us up out of our seats, right? And that that whole period that I think I think I would say that that period ended the day that ArenaNet made the studio announcement about the leadership changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, the end of Dragon's Tease was great, absolutely, and that happened at the end of last year, so the end of twenty twenty. Yeah, but the real tone changer was them roaring out the gates and saying, we're bringing back Colin Johansson and we're bringing back Josh Davis. Yes. And probably some other folks too who are flying under the radar. But Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And and we're going to change our communication policy because because it's worth the risk for you guys to hear mm -hmm. from us. Right. Which we've all, we all saw, we all felt arena clam up in the years after yeah. Heart of Thorns. Oh, and yeah. We, and, like we were fine for a little while while the content was coming, but then when there's when right. when we're not hearing the signal back and the content isn't really coming, it's a weird spot for the community to be in, and for creators too who are used to being enthusiastic yeah. about that. Yeah. So that leadership uh, announcement and all the details of it, you know, like actual news about alliances, so many things I could point out there that are signs of a a vibrant future for people who want to love Guild Wars 2. And we're, we're, and since then, it seems as though the studio has been putting their money where their mouth is. They're actually giving us stuff. We aren't seeing the Path of Fire marketing treatment where it's like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, here it is. Now go play it. Mm -hmm. We're actually getting the, <coughs> the ability for the community to be a... <coughs> the me. teases. We're getting the teases. It's beautiful. <coughs> Whew, I got too excited. It gives the community a chance to be a part of it. It feels like we're... we're yes. It's it's silly, but it feels like we're helping make End of Dragons when they do it this way. We're not really helping to make it, but we get to be part of it. And um, beyond the expedient of giving content creators something to riff off of, which it absolutely does, right. but beyond that, right. it's like we all get the sense. And that, that sense is so potent that not only has it suffused the existing community, but it's starting to get out. It's starting yes. to, other people are starting to be like, well, wait a second, other MMOs suck, maybe Guild Wars 2, like there's all this positive buzz around it, I should check it out. Mm -hmm. And that is what, that is what franchise like inflection points are all about. It's when you marry compelling content with um, changes in the outside narrative.
And I really just, I really believe that the lean-in community who show up for conversations like the ones we're having and all the great content other people make and they go to the Reddit or whatever their way of consuming um, the news around the experiences have, have such power in create in setting the tone. And although ArenaNet leads that process, they're not completely in control of it. Once it gets out, the community does its thing and the community is doing its thing right now and it's beautiful to see. Absolutely. It's an MMO. It's founded on community, yeah. right? And Guild Wars 2 has always, uh, ArenaNet has always excelled at connecting with their community from mm -hmm. day one. They're supporting content creators. They're they're telling content creators, use our music in your content, use our mm -hmm. assets in your content. It's totally fine. We're not gonna like take down your, you know, give you copyright strikes and DMCAs. Mm -hmm. You know, they're 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 you know creating a partner program. Um I have never interacted with so many devs on a game as I do on Twitter. Yeah. For and ArenaNet. Like ArenaNet devs are they are communicating and, and I know they're on Reddit and I know, you know, they're just they're on the forums on the Guild yeah. Wars 2 website. Um they're communicating with their community and mm. that gives you a real human connection to the people who are creating this game world that you're in and that makes you want to keep coming back because mm -hmm. you don't want to just see what the new story is i want to see what tom abernathy has written for these characters mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. i talk to him on twitter he retweets yeah. my tweets so i know his name i know that when i play the story not only is it going to be a really cool story, but I, I have talked to the person behind it, one mm -hmm. of the many people behind this story. Mm -hmm. So it gives me a further connection. You know, Colin Johansson coming back is just so massive because he was, when the game launched, he was the face of Guild Wars 2. Oh, yeah. It was Colin Johansson. Mm -hmm. and, and it was a sad day when they lost him. And, yes. and it, I was, it, it was like losing part of Tyria when yeah. Colin left and uh because and and you know having met him personally on m mm -hmm. several occasions and talked to him it it, it like it, it hit me very deeply I was like and he's been with the with the game and even Guild Wars 1 for so long yeah, that a long timer he's yeah. synonymous with Guild Wars to me so yeah. to have him leave was was a loss from this game franchise that I mm -hmm. love Mm -hmm. And uh, not to put any pressure on the man or anything, <laughs> Jesus, but you know what Call I mean? You, like, like, so <laughs> when he came back, like, I can't tell you, I was in a hotel room reading on my phone the blog post uh -huh. uh, where they announced when he returned. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, <laughs> Colin's bad. I started like freaking out. My husband's like, what's wrong? What's ha what happened? Are you okay? I was like, Colin's back. And I was like, it felt like right there was like revitalization of Guild Wars uh, Two. Yeah. I was like, Tyria's whole again. Uh. And we have we have seen the and it's not just him. Don't get me wrong. There's yeah, a yeah. lot of factors. A yeah, lot of know. people. You don't get me wrong. But like I said, he was the face. He's always mm -hmm. been the face of Guild Wars Two. And so like this entire shift. In their marketing, in their staff, in in the the way that they're communicating with the fans, the way that they're dealing with this content and slowly rolling it out and teasing us. Like mm -hmm. I woke up this morning and they had announced the Guardian Elite spec, and I was just like, I forgot. 
oh my, I have to leave in five minutes. Oh my, like I'm freaking out. Like, when am I going to do this? I did like yeah. a three minute reaction right before this podcast for the, for the will bender. The will bender. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> cause I was just like, I, I, someone might mention it on the podcast. I need to, I need to record my reaction. <laughs> <laughs> so I did like a super quick react, the fastest reaction ever. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, this is the excitement that, mm-hmm. that when you do your marketing, right. When you, it's all down to marketing, like, and when you do it right and you, and you communicate with your fans and you put them at the forefront, this is the excitement that Mm -hmm. happens for your product that we are paying money for. So you're doing it right. Keep doing this. Whatever you did with Path of Fire and the Ice Brew Saga, don't because it didn't work and 10 years into your game you're gonna kill it so keep doing it now what you're doing right now because it's working okay i'm done peachy rants can't beat him (laughs) totally agreed totally agreed love to see it yeah no i I agree with you no more of that old like path of fire icebridge saga era communication stuff Mm -hmm. allowed that's not allowed anymore Mm -hmm. like we Mm -hmm. can't have that no more being quiet no no yeah (laughs) <laughs> we're excited about guild wars 2 again yeah we're excited about being excited absolutely well like we we all have this such a like automatic sense of um understanding if if the thing seems like it has a future and we don't need to think it think it think about this rationally we don't need to do the math we just we all like make these calculations automatically it's like and Right now, the 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 math is adding up, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be a shill or anything, but I just I've always loved this franchise, and for me, I think the prevailing sentiment is I feel I feel I feel happy for Tyria, like not necessarily for the people playing the game, not necessarily for the people making the game, and not necessarily for like people making money off the game, investors, anything like that, publisher. It's just like this piece of art seems like it's going to get the deten- the attention it deserves. That's how I kind of feel about it. And to the extent that that part of the that piece of art forms part of my identity, which I think it does, if it's yeah. personally gratifying, but mm-hmm. um, it feels good, man. And you know, I I I'm excited about Colin too. But another another dimension of it that I'm very excited about is Grouch, Josh Davis. A guy with a huge rep, uh, reputation for um, community collaboration, for putting in the extra work and the sweat to make sure that the community is heard and and fed, yes. and yes. to have someone with his level of attention and fluency with what the community needs and cares about in the the role of of a head of live ops, the person who's you know day in day out making sure the live game is getting what it needs. Like that's like a that's like bread meeting butter. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah beautiful and i'm really excited to see what he can do in that role oh yeah and everyone else like like i mean uh, a game like guild wars isn't made by by two folks sitting behind a camera and looking pretty like colin and uh <laughs> colin and josh and of course ruby and all the other folks uh andrew gray um but the people who who the, the are put forth to symbolize the franchise become important they become those symbols yeah. And that, that's that's why we we focus on them. And I think we all understand that 
when we're talking about what we're excited to see from Calm, we're excited to see from Grouch. Like we're, we're talking about all the people who are behind that as well. And the work that those guys are representing when they speak. Right. Absolutely. So. There's so many different aspects of what goes into an individual player's experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people like us, it's just the, the, the community and, and that, you know, the devs and, and what they bring to the, to the experience mm -hmm. of being interior is very, very ingrained in our enjoyment of that fictional world. Mm -hmm. And it, so it hurts when you take that away from us. Yeah. It hurts yeah. that world, even though the world hasn't changed, but our experience even outside the game has changed. And, and that's the world we're living in. Because, you know, when you were a kid and you went and bought Super Mario World, you weren't talking to the devs. You weren't seeing them tweet on Twitter. You might, you might see a commercial on TV, but you see it once you buy the game and then yeah. you're playing the game, right? And you might see the same commercial again. <laughs> But you're not connecting with those real human people behind it. And you're not getting hyped every day with a community. You know, you, you buy the game and you go and yeah. you sit, play it in yeah. your living room. Um, times are changed now. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, there are some game companies who, whose social media managers are, you know, people love interacting with their accounts, mm -hmm. you know, because the, their social media manager is on point and making jokes and replying to people. And it keeps people engaged and it puts a very human, a humanization to uh, even a, a company's name or a game's mm -hmm. name. Square Enix excels at this. Um, you know, the Square Enix account isn't just the name of a company. It's, 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 it's a, an account. It's someone that makes me laugh. It's someone mm -hmm. that makes me, mm -hmm. you know, and Guild Wars 2 is the same way Guild Wars 2 is, is doing excellent with their, with their social media. And, you know, so I feel like I'm interacting uh, with a very real person, with someone like me who mm -hmm. loves Tyria. And, you know, and that's just, the, and and there's a, a giant part of the player base who who has never, doesn't even, isn't even on Twitter, you right. know? So right. there's there's different things. And so uh, it's good to have someone like Grouch who 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 is in tune with, okay, what do the players need in the mm -hmm. game? You know, all the different, ex all the myriad of experiences that mm -hmm. the players are going through. And just to have this 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 intelligent team of people who are in tuned with the players. That was one of my favorite things about um, talking in person to Colin Johansson mm -hmm. is that the man lives and breathes Guild Wars 2. Uh -huh. It was and just Guild Wars in general. It was all he ever wanted to talk about. You you would talk to um uh, you know other devs and of course you'd talk about Guild Wars, right. but you know you'd also talk about what other games are you playing and what do you sure. do because they're everyone's gamers and everyone's nerds yeah. and you know what are you doing and let's talk about this or where did you go or what did you do? Colin lives and breathes Guild Wars. He's like, <laughs> "What's your favorite map? What's your fa if you could have one change to a legendary uh, if you could have one change in the game, what would it be? And and it's just jet, like like he lights up like a child, like like on Christmas. He, he just wants to talk about Guild Wars, and and you're like, me too. I just want to talk about Guild Wars. So it's it's a joy, and that just means that he's so people like that, and him and Grouch, they're so in tuned with the community because they themselves are the community. They're not just someone at every, and don't get me wrong. Every dev loves lives and breathes Guild Wars 2 or they wouldn't work there. Um, don't get me wrong. But I'm like in my personal experience speaking to devs, 
Um, I've never seen someone more passionate about yeah. a, and who is just like, I feel like a gamer like me. Um, yeah. you know, so uh, they're, they're a Tyrion like me, you know? So yeah. it's yeah. such a joy to see that. Yeah. And that's a, that's a quality that, I mean, I don't feel like you can put that in a job description, that kind of a quality. No, um, no. that's something that comes from the individual and that's, that's what makes it so, so special because, there are a lot of people who I'm sure could do the job that Colin has done and is doing. I'm um, sorry, not a lot of people. I'm sure there are other people, right? But <clears throat> the fact that he's doing it and he happens to be a major Guild Wars nerd, a major Guild Wars nerd, is uh, it feels really good. I mean, there is like this like cynical kind of argument of like, oh, you know, like the whole idea of, of humanizing a corporation and how corporations aren't really mm -hmm. your friend. And sure. I think that's fair and and true um i don't think it's i don't think it's true though to suggest that corporations don't do things that the role that the arena and the folks working there are serving is to engage in a, an essentially human enterprise like mm -hmm. they're serving people um you know uh my mmo gaming buddy who i referenced earlier who i was complaining about games to the other night um, one of the things that we, we've talked about recently is just some economic topics. And he, uh, he, he uh, calls himself a pragmatist. He will uh, kind of, you know, boil things down to dollars and cents a lot of the time. And I think that's a useful perspective sometimes. But like for like me, like personality-wise, I tend to find that kind of annoying. And it's like, mm. yeah, but like dollars and cents stand for something. Like they're a value of something. Um, they're, they're referential. They aren't the thing itself. And... Um, so I guess what I want to try to do is include the counter argument to the idea of I love Colin, therefore I love ArenaNet. The counter argument is, oh, it's, it's just, you know, a corporation using you by putting the right person up there to say the right things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that when that, when that undertaking of trying to bring out the thing that we as humans care about, um, a corporation is done in poor taste that's when it ends up being kind of manipulative and bad feeling but when it's done effectively when it's a good product that's just a i don't know i'm gonna have to listen back to this and see if i agree with myself later but i want I, I times i do that i really agree with you but i find myself wanting to justify it in some ways sure um yeah because i think that the 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 there is just such a a um attraction to cynicism in the way that gaming and especially game makers are discussed these days um and it's, it's a nuanced and, and terribly difficult thing to contend with to understand that people making things want them to be good people selling things want them to be good people playing things want them to be good everyone wants them to be good and when it goes wrong it's not usually because there's someone you know doing this in the background it's just because someone didn't do it well. Um, or maybe there's a problem with the system, or maybe there's just something going on. So uh, the I read somewhere, and I can't remember where, uh, a characterization of this phenomenon where we, we see something occur, a behavior that seems negative to us, and our inclination is to assume a malicious intent behind the behavior. Um, and the suggestion... Um, that I've heard in, in reaction to that is to 
not attribute to malice what could be attributed to ignorance. And that's kind of like a like a maxim to kind of consider when we're seeing things that we don't quite understand. It's like not, oh, this dev is lazy. This dev is malicious. This dev hates the players. Something you hear people actually people say, right? Oh yeah. How about a human explanation? How about anyway? This kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, and this is really uh, getting a little navel gazy. So I think I'll pull right out of this tangent. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Humans, humans, we we see the negative a lot, but yeah, that's why I try to put out positivity and goodness and show how you can see you can see the good. You can find the joy. I love in it. Anything. I love it. Right. I too am here to justify the good and to and to and to retort the cynical. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think this is probably a good point, Peachy, for us to call it. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. My my old eyes are getting tired from the from the lights. Perfect. So. <laughs> yeah. No. I, there's definitely like a certain sort of fatigue that I that I, I scan for in myself. But I mean, it's good. That's Peachy, good. Practice this is healthy geeking. <laughs> healthy geeking. I love it. This has been incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time to to sit and talk with me, share your life with us, and answer my silly questions. I've I've really enjoyed this, and I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to get to know you. Oh my gosh, same. Thank you so much. The, and and they were nothing. They were not silly at all. They were informative and thoughtful, and, and honestly, some of the most thoughtful questions I've ever been asked hmm. on an interview. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, tell people where they can find your stuff. And maybe something new you're working on. Oh, you can find all the stuff. Uh, Aurora Peachy, one word, everywhere. I'm Aurora Peachy, just about everywhere. Um, I, uh, I I create uh, content on YouTube. Um, I'm mostly on Twitch, though. I stream four days a week right now. Uh, we're still getting back into the schedule after the hiatus. But right mm -hmm. now it's uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays and then Friday nights and Saturdays. Um, every Tuesday is Guild Wars 2 Tuesday on Twitch. So, uh, noon Eastern time, come on by. I'll be playing some Guild Wars 2. Always talking about nerdy things. And, uh, you know, my, my motto is love what you love. If it's not hurting you or anyone else and it brings you joy, do it. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't. You love what you love. And... Use it to inspire you and make you a better person. Make new friends. Use it for everything good in your life. Ride that joy. Love it. Love it. Uh, I'm Deeg. I don't have the same name anywhere because apparently I don't have my shit together. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to get. Oh my god. I was just I was just talking to my wife about this. She's she does um uh, marketing and uh, and content uh, uh, content nice. marketing and. Uh, She's like, you don't use the same name for stuff? What is wrong with you? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, you kind of got a point. Kind of got a point. Maybe I'll fix that at some point in the future. The brand but... consistency is, is very nice. Yeah. The, yes. the tricky thing is, is, you, you, is, unless you have a cool name like Aurora Peachy, it's hard to get the name you want everywhere sometimes. Absolutely. No, I, I was, thank you, RJ. I was Aurora underscore Peachy on Twitch oh. for five years. And it plagued me because I couldn't get Aurora Peachy. <laughs> and it plagued me for five years to say, I'm, you can find me. I'm Aurora Peachy everywhere. 
Except Twitch, I'm Aurora underscore PG. I've, oh. I said that for five years religiously, and it, it just plagued me and plagued me and plagued me until Twitch changed their rules and I was able to get Aurora PG. And that was a glorious day, and we celebrate its anniversary every year. So now I can say <laughs> I'm Aurora PG everywhere. Yes. Under, underscore day. <laughs> no underscore. We killed the underscore that day. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, um, so yeah. My shtick is deep thoughts and gaming, or at least I try to. And I just love, love talking to people. I believe that the endeavor of human meaning and connection is something that's meant to be solved collaboratively. And mm. that's why I talk to people who I think I, who I can learn from, like you. Um, that's beautiful. I I'll be it. back here on Tuesday next week. That is the 17th of August to learn from Jebro, another nice. lovely, lovely longtime Guild Wars content creator, uh, esports dude, lots of other stuff. Jebro and I have, have way too much stuff to talk about. Uh, you guys are going to have a fun. blast. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he's a little annoyed because it because we plan to meet the same day that now the the uh, the the elite the, spec, spec beta. beta is happening the same night. Uh, yeah. But I told him we could pitch it as as people can listen to us while they're doing it. I think maybe he's going to come around. We'll see if after we schedule. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. Um, also, I'm on YouTube and Twitter, and uh, I have a Patreon if you care to support me in that way, like we talked about earlier. But till then, thank you again, Aurora Peachy. Thank you, everyone who hung out on the chat, and thank you, everyone who's watching this after the fact for sticking around. This has been really fun. I love you all. Practice healthy geeking. Is that what you said? Healthy geeking. Practice healthy geeking. We'll sign off on that. <laughs>